cyborgs, Scotsmen and cyberpunk, welcome to another edition of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast where a comic book fan and a movie fan rewatch the Marvel movies and use them to explore and go through the very rich tapestry of the characters, the stories, and, and everything else that goes on with Marvel that dates back way, way back to the 1960s. It's a great way to share trivia and history with people that have never read comic books before or only just started to read a few of them who are mainly coming from the worlds of TV and movies. And we have one special, special catchphrase and and epitaph, and not epitaph, mantra, that's the word I'm looking for on this show, which is no gatekeeping. That's the one big thing we believe in here. Because here at Marvel vs. Marvel, we welcome everyone into the Marvel Universe. My name is Rob Holden. I'm a comedian, a writer, and a lifelong Marvel comic book fan of 30... Gosh, two, three years. I am old as balls. There we go. Uh, (laughs) I've been reading Marvel comics since I could start to read. I was taught to read with Marvel comic books. And uh, they served me very well over the years. So my experience of the movies come with a lot of back history and a backstory to them. Whereas my partner on this wonderful podcast, on this journey, Mr. Will Preston. Say hello, Will. Hello, Will. He does not have the same kind of, uh, the same kind of backstory I have. Because he, and I don't want to shock you here, folks, but this man on this podcast with me has never read a Marvel comic book in his life is that still true Will? that is still true oh wonderful brilliant I'm very pleased we've been sent some we keep getting sent all these recommendations for (laughs) comic books for you to read we have to put them in the bin I'm ever so sorry folks we love your comments we love your emails but stop trying to get Will if you get Will to read a Marvel comic book the show's over. The premise is I, done. I know. We need to the, keep the premise intact. Yeah, we need to keep the premise intact. The thing is, though, we go through them, and I'm going. Uh, when we first started doing this podcast, I was like, eh, it's fine. I like doing doing it like this." And now it's like, oh, I kind of want to read some of these before I die. <laughs> yeah, I'm desperate to. Sh- <laughs> and how long can this run for as well? Because yeah. this show could run for a, quite a while, mate. Several years. Yeah. And you're stuck there never being able to read them as I'm laughing at you from my lofty position. I we'll can absorb epi- all the media, you see. We could do episodes I where could... I have an opinion on the comics and go, yeah, it was all right. It's quite good. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll be the last three years will be you <laughs> running through every comic you've read going, nah, yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, that was a bit wobbly. And that's that'll be the like whole Tinder. show for three years. That's <laughs> a bit like Tinder. Nah, yeah, <laughs> that one's a bit wobbly. <laughs> I'm going to say, as someone who's in the bit wobbly category, uh, I don't like being called out like that. <laughs> that's okay. More, more, more to love. So if this, is your, if this is your first episode, this is how it works. We have a movie set before us, which uh, for this episode is X-Men 2 or X2. Because it's mm. sort of nearly the 90s. X2. <laughs> we'll run through the episode. Will will uh, take us through the entire episode, the, the entire movie, in fact. And at various times, yes. he'll use his muggle brain, his 
his average Joe mind Oof. to ask me questions about the characters and the stories and everything that we come across in the film. And uh, and I'll use my... Uh, well, I don't want to say... I nearly said powerful Marvel mind, but I don't want to say that. I'll use my <laughs> experience, let's say. My humble, humble experience to explain some of the stuff to him and, and in that way we can all have a wonderful discussion about Marvel comic books and the wonderful things that have been written and drawn over the last <laughs> years and it's a great way to delve into the history and explore the trivia and that's what we uh, that's what we've discovered people love so very very much so Will are you excited about this one we're, we're not see we I don't want to say suckered people in, but to begin with, we did. We we started with the MCU, didn't we? We started indeed with the MCU. And then, where else can you start? Where else can you start? Two thousand eight Iron Man, and then we took a little detour, and that was so much fun. We did this three episode detour where we went back before the MCU on this little journey of ours that's going to take us all the way through these wonderful blockbuster movies. We went back and we looked at Blade. Oh yes. From 1998, we looked at X-Men from the year 2000, and we looked at Spider-Man from just after that. And that was incredible, because we got to lay the table. We got to really sort of see how Hollywood started to accept and learn that superheroes can be big cheddar at the box office, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. And um, it was a great history lesson. We got to learn all about... The, the, you know the behind the scenes stuff of the comic books and the movies and that was just fantastic to do we started to plough on then with uh, phase 2 of the MCU which we did with Iron Man 3 and Dark World and Winter Soldier which has been very po- Winter Soldier has been a popular popular episode Will but then you know along that way we just had so many people uh, message us and get in touch especially on our Patreon patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel talking about how much they loved that detour and they loved us talking about these other marvel movies that aren't mcu related Mm. so we gave everyone the opportunity if you're a if you're a patron of ours if you pay that dollar 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 to subscribe three of your uh pre-brexit sterling pounds is what it will cost you and and that gets you uh into consideration and you can choose something for us to take a look at and do an episode on as long as it's marvel could be a marvel tv series could be a tv movie could be a cartoon could be a non-mcu movie and that's what's led us to this one here and we'll get to that uh and we'll talk about who's picked that out for us just a little bit later on but x2 lies before us today very excited about this one will we like to take a little trip into your mind or i do at least uh, it's, it's nice to have and it's someone an interesting in it. mind. Yep, oh, it's a kind. unique mind. Ooh. It's a mind. I hope you're going to leave to to science after you're dead. I hope you would. I hope you tick that box. Oh yeah, and say, I, I, I they, leave they, my mind to science. They can have yeah. everything. They can have everything as long as it oh. helps. Put you in a little jar, future armor style, lovely stuff. <laughs> and there's our will in the future, advising future world leaders. That's what I want to see. So take us into your mind, then, Will. This obviously won't be your first encounter of the X-Men mm. because oh, we've course. had that first movie and, and, and you're someone who, who saw the cartoon series mm. uh, not not necessarily religiously as a child but you did see 
that 1990s cartoon series with the greatest theme song ever. Ah, oh, can't beat it. I use that on my Twitch stream when I start a fight in a game. I have little buttons to press, and then when a bu- fight starts, <laughs> that's one of the fo- little pieces of music that starts during a fight for me. <laughs> it's great fight music. You know what you should also do if you're going to do that, mate? You need to get the Star Trek original series fight music. I have that as well. Oh, you do? Who am I talking to? Of course you do. So, so take us now, then, Will, into your mind, the mind of a muggle. Yeah. Before X Men Two came out, what what was what did you think of the X Men after that first movie? Was there any shift in the way you viewed them from that kind of Saturday morning cartoon? I th- I think with the first movie, although we we both agree it's not a perfect movie, it's far mm. from a perfect movie to say the least. Mm. But I I was kind of left feeling if they're going to do more. They're going to need to do, well, more because the first film did feel small, as although yeah. it did have a fight on top of the Statue of Liberty. It had this, it had that. You needed some, you need something grand happening, and uh, I, I really wanted that in the second one. But I, I didn't want that, want to see that enough to actually go out to the cinema and see it. I saw it very late, sadly. A few years after it came out on DVD. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, you didn't. I know. I was very. I went through. I went through the, when the third one came out. I just went through the entire trilogy, uh, which isn't a very good thing to do. No, <laughs> given the ending. Uh, Here's uh, the thing: I, I, I didn't quite realize uh, or put together about that first one when we first did it, hmm. or, or ever, when I didn't think about it when I saw it. Part of this, folks, is, is being British. We don't. We don't always have a fundamental grasp. Of the, I don't know, of all the the rhythms of American culture, and so we're. I think I'm. We're sometimes a little step behind that movie, The X Men, which has all these connotations about equality and about race relations, yeah. right, and about being other. It culminates in a fight on Ellis Island, <laughs> which is where. Every immigrant to to New York and to, to that part of the world, the East Coast, flooded in um, over several times. That's quite a powerful kind of imagery, and I, I just didn't really connect with it until um, until after we recorded the last episode. Um, so sorry, yeah, that just that's a, a, a you know, a, but I thought that's I really think that must be intentional by the you know the mm. the monster that directed the film i mean i mean i mean that, that, that that's great subtext in there but sometimes it's nice to have subtext in a superhero movie but it's nice to have uh, a longer subtext not a like oh by the way the fight takes place that i what, what subtext i like very true was the operation paperclip subtext in winter soldier i love oh. that was deep subtext oh that was sub subtext well i mean it wasn't <laughs> i don't think it was subtext it was text it was just text wasn't it he was he was there for Operation, but they said paperclip, and that's what he was there for. But yeah, yeah. So so sorry, you you, you were talking. We, we've gone off track a little there. That's um, fine. That's my bread and butter. You you, you 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 didn't see the movie at the time, but you, you so you weren't energized enough to go and see it at the cinema. Sadly, no. I think back then I didn't really go to the cinema that much anyway. So it's okay, not like now where I religiously, I pretty much religiously see every MCU film. It's pretty much the only reason now I go to the cinema is to see a Marvel film. It's, that was yeah. I, I, it's really yeah. bad. Martin Scorsese hates me. Will. And Sonic, come on, 
What? And so, oh, I didn't see Sonic in the and cinema. And Sonic. I didn't see Sonic in the what? cinema. I, I, w- I waited until it came out. And I have to say, strong 6 out of 10, that film. Strong 6 out of 10. Uh, if, you, if you're playing Will Bingo at home, that reference doesn't count because I brought it up, yeah. so you can't have that one. Nicely um, played. Nicely played. <laughs> so, uh, take us into the... Um, Take us into the important bit of the movies, Will. Yeah. Because what's it come down to? Money. At the end of the day, what is money, right? That's what it's all about. That's what we're all about, and that's what they're all about. Money. We're on a smaller scale, but it's all about the money. Money. So what can you tell us then about this sequel and how it compares to the first outing of Marvel's Mutants? And in what was the first... I love Blade. I and if you go back and what you listen to that episode, I love Blade. I love Wesley Snipes. That's a great movie, but it's, I don't really feel it's a superhero movie. Yeah. So Marvel's X Men is arguably the first superhero movie. Oh yes. And I would even argue that one. Um, so tell us, <laughs> Spider Man. Sp- it's Spider Man. It's Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, tell us then, Will, about. The uh, the stats, the figures, the cents, the dollars, and the dimes. Oh, the dollars and cents and dimes are all nicely in a row. Well, this is a. I was. I've just been staring at these figures actually while you've been talking, and I'm trying to see if X Men Two did better or not. And I can't. I don't know. I'm genuinely puzzled. Anyway, the first X Men was on a budget of seventy five million dollars, but the box office takings were two hundred and ninety six point three million. Uh, X Men Two. 110 to 125 million dollar budget and the box office was 407.7 million that doesn't sound like a big increase in fact that sounds like they made less of a profit on this one but still enough to make it a successful movie it's not like iron man 3 compared to iron man 1 which was surprising yeah yeah i mean yeah. you're both looking at something in the region of four aren't you yeah um, yeah Ish, so, but that being yes, but they, and they spent a little bit more and they made a little bit more, but not not hugely. Yeah, um, what do we? Yeah, it's it's difficult and it does seem you are right. Like there is not much room for growth there, um, and perhaps we'll be able to see because this is fundamentally a better movie, a bigger movie, yes. a movie that received more accolades and more attention than the first one. So perhaps if someone out there in the in in the Patreon universe of this of this show picks X-Men 3 the last stand, <laughs> we'll be able to take a look at the box office there and see mm. what happened because I have a feeling the third one probably did a lot more than this because this X-Men 1 felt like uh, a short throwaway movie to a certain extent. Yep, yep, totally. Whereas this one feels like there's a franchise here. Strap in, pay attention. We're doing big stuff now. (laughs) Um, And number three was just, let's put Vinnie Jones in a helmet. People will want to see that. I don't... Yeah, we're not a movie review show, are we, Will? That's not what we do. Well, no. But we say that on Apple to get us to get us in certain lists, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's because like... there's no list for there's no comic book review category. We can't right. go anywhere else. We're not niche enough to be niche. <laughs> no, 
But that one, that movie, we're going to have to talk about what went on with directors when we get to that one. Um, oh, yes, because well, there was so, a change, yeah. yeah. There was two changes, mate. Oh, God. <laughs> Listen, this is, this is if, if your movie loses two directors, gains a third, and doesn't stop production once, there's something wrong. Um, I saw a film that did there that. There just is. I saw June. What was it? June, 1984, June, David Lynch. Oh, mate. Yeah. I've slept through it five times. I try. I am, I enjoy David Lynch. I enjoy science fiction. I've slept through it five times. <laughs> I've tried very hard with that movie. And it might be to do with the period of my life in which I was trying to watch it. There were some things being consumed that did not aid being awake. But still, <laughs> it, it left a, an impression of yeah. sleepiness. Um, yeah. Before we... Press play and get to the movie on the docket. I think it's worth we take a little look. We did in the first X-Men episode, we took a look at the origins of the characters in the 1950s and 60s, the origins of the fears and where they came from. It's it's time for this, this episode to take a look at kind of the more modern history of the publication of the X-Men. And um, we, we took ourselves last time from the 60s through to Chris Claremont's revolutionary, incredible, uh, redefining run in the 1980s. If mm. you didn't hear it, go back and take a look, listen. The X-Men was a minor title that nobody really paid attention to and pretty much got cancelled. And throughout the 70s, it only existed as repeats. They would reprint old episodes, old, old issues. And then this guy, Chris Claremont, comes along after it gets relaunched and transforms it from a let's not even pay attention comic book into Marvel's number one best selling book which is a great great feat and he wrote that comic for 17 years that is a huge feat that is a huge feat and then we went through the the, the barren wasteland of the 90s as as Marvel goes through every time we do these ones we go (laughs) and then there was the 90s and oh good lord and and don't get me wrong X-Men had some 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 I mean mainly Age of Apocalypse is a really really great um event and series a uh, crossover event series of comic books and and stories it's really really brilliant and a lot of fun and that's something to really pay attention to but outside of that they were struggling. Marvel really needed to energise the X-Men when the, the movie came out because you it's embarrassing to have a hit movie and a failing comic book that goes with it. That is an embarrassment. It's mm. embarrassment to have people converted from going to see the movie coming to pick up a comic book that is creatively stunted, that you all know is creatively stunted. So the year 2000, the first X-Men movie comes out and at the same time, Marvel change who their editor in chief is. Okay, writer, a visionary writer, an artist called Joe Quesada, who had began life as a self-published creator, self-published writer artist, and then an independent um, creator, and then worked his way up through doing very, very good business with with uh, Marvel Comics on some smaller titles. He suddenly becomes the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. It was a it felt like a real left field choice and it mm. proved to be one of the things that saved that company right on top of the money from the from the new investors and the new 
owners. Joe Quesada understands talent like nobody else at that time. And he, because he was in the trenches as a writer-artist, knows the right people. Yeah, yeah. So he installs, as the the new helm of X-Men, a Scottish writer called Grant Morrison. Now, an, an incredible science fiction author, Morrison has that British comic book edge that comes from writing twisted stories for 2000 AD and all these small publishers. Oh, yes. And Morrison had just got on the back of a multiple-year run taking... DC Comics failing Justice League and what Justice League was in the dirt, in the gutter when Grant Morrison was handed the comic no one was buying Justice League at DC which sounds weird now to say it because they've had big hit movies and all that but there was a period of time in the 90s where traditional superheroes were not being bought and Grant Morrison transformed Justice League into this best selling comic book series again, shot them to the top of not just DC's sales charts but the entire industry sales charts he gained a reputation of being able to give a modern edge to tired old superheroes that was Grant Morrison's thing Mm. so Joe Quesada takes one look at this dude who wants to get out of DC because of some issues to do with the Matrix and things like that which we can't get into right now okay 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 that's fine And, and he says take X-Men and and can you do the same for them that you did for the Justice League can you bring those sensibilities to it mm. and 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 that's really what happens so all the costumes that the X-Men characters have which are all kind of different and stylized and they are superhero costumes with masks they all get thrown out and the team gets redesigned by an artist called Frank Quitely another British writer uh, artist sorry another British creator and the team is given a, a look very similar to the movie. Lots of black leather, leather jackets, <laughs> leather trousers, little bit of like yellow piping. That's kind of it, really. Yeah. And, it, and it makes them look more in line with the comic books. And Grant Morrison sets about immediately revitalizing the mutant world. He introduces these concepts, these really big, high concept science fiction concepts that stayed with the X Men for, for, for decades after he's left. Um, th- these ideas that. that the ex mutants are facing extinction across the globe. They're not the new hot thing anymore emerging. Mm. They're now about to be wiped out. They, he re-emphasizes the idea that Xavier's is a school and there are children there. And that gives them the chance to inject loads of new characters who have gone on to you know great enduring success after he left. It, it's, a, it's a massive commercial. It's a critical success as well. Everyone agrees this is the best X Men since Claremont left. It might even be the best X Men ever written. It's really, really good. It's also a huge commercial success. It becomes the best selling book in the entire industry. So that that was that was what happened right as the first X Men movie came out, right where we left off. This movie though isn't based on anything new like that. And and things like this rarely are because Movies are in production for quite a long time, in development for quite a long time. Um, this movie is based pretty much entirely on a 1982 graphic novel called God Loves, Man Kills. 
mm. which was created by Chris Claremont, that visionary writer we talked about from the 80s, and Brent Anderson, a very... <clears throat> a very emphatic artist. He, he really projects a lot of emotion into his work. And, and that's a story similar to, to this movie. It's about a TV evangelist preacher and his fundamentalist hard-right followers who hate anything different from them and believe mutants to be an abomination against God. Mm. And it begins with two black children being murdered by this Ku Klux Klan-style group. Oof. Murdered in a playground and strung up on the swings with signs tied around their neck that say mutie. As a derogatory term for mutant. Mutie. And being being a, a one-off graphic novel, it's it's not published as part of the X-Men's regular monthly comic book mm. that allows them to be mo- more overt with, with what they're talking about and yeah. it's Clement Hammersheim in this the fact that they are black children murdered in the first the very start, this is about race, the X-Men can be used to talk about gender and sexuality and anything that's other the mm. X-Men can stand in for anything that's outside the norm of what 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 we consider the norm of life, but Clement is is very upfront from the start of this graphic novel that this particular story is about race, and there are very strong themes throughout it. Of, for instance, um, pa- being able to pass. So there are some mutants that are able to pass in inverted commas yes. as humans because they look more like humans. And and that's something that's very very strong racial overtones and racial themes. You know that there are people of color that are able to pass as white, and do they have an easier life or a harder life, and how does that go about? Um, and, and and it's a, it's a, a really groundbreaking graphic novel. It, it's it's really shatters a lot of conventions. It sees the X Men as a team suffer a crisis of faith in what they believe in. Do they believe in? Ex- Charles Xavier's dream and it is named a dream from the 70s onwards very intentionally to tie it to Martin Luther King do they believe still in in, in Xavier's dream of of living and integrating with humanity peacefully and how are they able to kind of pull back from this guttural instinct to give in to anger and to fight back when children are being murdered and it puts Magneto and Xavier um, at odds, and then having to put those differences aside to work together, and tons of of this graphic novel appear in the movie. The school is attacked by by um, paramilitary forces. Xavier's kidnapped and brainwashed. There's a device that can be used to kill mutants. You know, very so. It, it really is almost entirely taken from this one graphic novel. The difference being that the graphic novel is very clear and very strong that it is about the religious right, it is about the clan, mm. and it is about racial overtones. Rather than the movie, which goes in this more sanitised, um, I, I guess, military direction. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's kind of where we where we are, and I think that is the comic books laying the table for this movie. 
that sits before us today. Um, heavy stuff in there. Heavy stuff, man. And speaking of heavy stuff, <laughs> I can see the sack of letters that sits upon thou lap, Will. Yes, I can Take us through. What have you got for us? The letters in my sack way. Let's see. First up, we have Lauren Monmouth, who writes in to say uh, about ex- her experience with X-Men 2, easily the best of the original trilogy, but it's bittersweet. Ah! Bittersweet knowing how much character progression was casually discarded for the third film. That's, uh, yeah, that's really true. Not to poo on um, it, but, you know, it really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even with the big player, even with Gene, uh, but especially with Bobby, mm-hmm. especially with Rogue, um, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, okay, it, it's difficult, you know. We'll, we will get to it. Someone will, will ask us for us to discuss it. And, um, yeah, and we'll get around to it. But it's, yeah, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to it, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, we also have a letter here from Jonathan Arnold, who also says about his experience with X-Men 2. This is the movie that helped pave the way, sorry, pave my way into comic books proper as a kid who enjoyed oh. the cartoons. But never, oh, wow. yeah, but never conceived of reading the source material. Also, the coming out scene with Iceman that Ian McKellen advised on was really quite powerful. Now, I had no idea that, that uh, Ian McKellen advised on that because that coming out scene with Iceman, I thought that was one of the film's strongest points. I, we'll talk about it later, but I, I thought that was a very strong point in the movie yeah. because it's... The subtext is slap, slaps you in the face, but in a good way. It's like, and we've got we've got something to discuss that you won't, you will have no knowledge of that will inform more of that, or or, or or pull it apart a bit more. So that'll be interesting. Who 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 was that message from? Uh, Jonathan Arnold. Jonathan Arnold, man, thank you so much for that because there's, I think the heart of what this podcast is about is people kind of discovering. Discovering these things for the first time yeah. to a certain extent, and I know this. That he said he watched the, the cartoon series, but for this movie to have inspired someone to go and read the comic books, that's huge. That is huge, man, because that's expanding the Marvel universe, and that is really, that's really getting it done. So um, I'm really excited to to, to hear that. Um, <clears throat> well, we we've got some more messages on the the Patreon. And if you're not already a patron, you should really consider it. Head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And we use the full word versus, not just V-S. Versus Marvel. And that's where you can find um, weekly blogs that you can get your hands on absolutely free. And they contain... Tons more uh, trivia and info and history that we talk about. And everything we talk about in the episode, all the images of that kind of stuff, are right up there for you to see. We know this is an audio forum, but that means we can do these blogs where you can see what we're talking about. And some of the images I ping over to to Will for Will to see, um, which reminds me, Will, get your messenger (laughs) open so that we've, uh, we've got that to come. And And you can check those out each and every week. Well, not every week, but each and every time there's an episode out for absolutely free. And then 
you can do the thing that we need you to do, which is to support us, to pledge to us, to donate just £3 a month to Patreon. Become one of our patrons. Support this show. Keep the lights on. Keep us in the ability to, to pay for hosting fees and the storage fees and all of that business. And in exchange, not only do you get the warmer feeling of knowing that you're supporting us, but we decide, choose and elect to also give away some bonus episodes as well. Some special bonus podcast episodes that you can only listen to if you are a patron on that Patreon. And what we're doing at the moment, I mean, this whole episode right now, that's a Patreon pick. That is a Patreon pick. We announced to our patrons that we were going to be doing special uh, outside the MCU episodes and that they have the power to pick what episode we do as long as they're a paying, subscribing patron, they can drop us a message and say, I want you to do this, to cover this cartoon, this TV show, this movie, outside of the MCU. Do it now, and they can demand it of us, and we have to give in. And what you're seeing today has been picked by uh, Jack Isaacs. He's the one that was the first one through the door picking X, X-Men 2. So that's why we'll jump on with that. But we got some other messages from our patrons who we value and love and <laughs> adore. Cody gets in touch to say, Hey guys, I am loving the extra bonus content on Patreon. So many cool episodes. Spider-Man, X-Men and Captain America all sound like they went through interesting times at some points during their comic book lives. I'm also super excited to see what you guys uh, want to go on the detours to other Marvel shows and movies that aren't the MCU. I can't wait. Any kind of cartoon, especially 90s X-Men, would be awesome. Also, any kind of movies not related to MCU would be really cool. I recently saw on IMDb that there is a Doctor Strange movie that came out in 1978. No. Not sure if it was a TV movie, but have either of you seen it? I'm not sure how it would work, but maybe you guys could talk through some of the more popular video game storylines. It may not be possible, but Spider-Man on PS4 was amazing, had a ton of characters to talk about, and there is the Avengers game coming out in September. It may not be possible to include games, but want to throw the idea out there Thanks again, guys. Love the show, and we'll keep supporting you on Patreon. Well, thank you, Cody. Now, that TV movie does exist. Yeah, I just seen um, it. I just seen I it have here. seen. Yeah, I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen it all the way through. And it was so um, in the seventies. CBS, um, American uh, network, CBS had the Incredible Hulk series. That was very, very, very popular, and it had the Spider-Man TV movies and the short-lived Spider-Man TV series, and it had this, which was the Doctor Strange TV movie, which they hoped would be popular enough to spin off into a TV series, which was not the case. So they just had this one TV movie. What we want to know, Cody, you wrote in, you put that up there, but you also said '90s X-Men. Listen, man. You're a patron. 
We love you. We respect you. We want to cater to you because you put that cheddar on the line. You tell us, man. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to do 90s X-Men, the cartoon series? We can do something about that. Do you want us to do the Doctor Strange movie from 1978? We can do either of them, but you've got to let us know, Cody. Tell us which one you're picking, and we'll definitely do that. The computer games is something we we've talked about off camera haven't we we have i i I put the idea forward because i'm a massive gamer as everyone knows we 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 will need i say we will definitely do it it will definitely happen it might be a bonus episode just on patreon it might not be a main main podcast episode it depends. We're not not 100% on either of that. What we need to do is me and Will need to spend a bit of time playing around with how we can structure that to be a cohesive episode. Yeah. So don't worry. I think if it's Marvel, we're going to cover it. But you're the ones that get to kind of influence us in that direction. Let us know. I think there could be an episode, a full major episode, on several computer games. I've got a, a lot of older ones in mind. So there's some things we can play around with there. Adam Joyce writes to us on Patreon to say, Hey guys, you mentioned wanting uh, about wanting to see the one-shots I mentioned in my last email. Uh, if you don't remember, Adam Joyce let us know that there are these DVD extras that take place in between the movies that are released. So when you buy Iron Man or Hulk... Or Captain America on DVD, especially in Phase One, the DVD extras have these bonus little episodes. Some of them are five minutes, some of them are fifteen minutes, and and they kind of carry on the story in between movies. Adam says I've rounded up all of the uh, one shots below for you to take a look in. Also, there are tie-in comics that Rob may want to have a look at. Well, thank you ever so much for that, Adam. We've got them. And we are planning a special episode to cover them because they are they're, they're officially part of MCU canon, right? Yeah, we've got to cover them. We've got to cover exactly. them. Yeah. So we're planning an episode that will be those special bonus ones, as well as something else we've come up with, which might be a little fun. And Adam also says, if you're looking at covering cartoons somewhere down the line, be sure to look up Spectacular Spider-Man. It is possibly the most realistic presentation of Spider-Man, but was sadly cut short at two seasons due to it being a Sony production and the Disney merger where the mouse realised they didn't own the film rights, they still owned the TV rights. The mouse. Like some evil overlord, he writes. Also, they own the sole merchandising rights, which is why no X-Men, Fantastic Four... Or Spider-Man films have any merchandising attached. Hope you enjoy, Adam Joyce. Well, Adam, uh, thank you for getting in touch and thank you for being a much-beloved patron. Sony don't hold the merchandising rights to Spider-Man. They actually sold those back in 2011, which they have got on record as saying they massively regret. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how, how Spider-Man is a bit... Is is easier for the Marvel to merchandise out? Listen, Adam, you're a patron. If you want us to cover Spectacular Spider-Man, the cartoon series, you tell us and we'll do it. That's all you got to do, brother. 
you let us know. Say, Oi, you guys, I'm paying you. I'm a subscriber. I'm a patron. I want an episode on Spectacular Spider-Man. Do it, and we will do it. But you've got to let us know. You've got to tell us. You've got to explicitly say it. We've got two, two guys here... <laughs> On Patreon, they're just, you know what they are, Will? They're too polite, they're too, <laughs> to my mind, I don't know this, but they seem a little bit too English for their own good. And they're saying, well, maybe if you would want to, have you heard of this thing? Maybe you would want to. Tell us, man. Instructors, order us around. That's what we like. That's why we go down to Soho every Friday night. So uh, you just got to um, ping us that, and, and that's what we'll do. Um, and if you want to be one of the people that can make a Patreon pick, that can tell us what episode, what what things outside of the MCU to cover, if you want to listen to bonus episodes, if you want to do any of that, if you just want to support us because you've had hours and hours and hours and hours of wonderful content from us during lockdown in this weird, sad, mad time, then please go over to Patreon.com/Marvel versus Marvel. Tip us, pay us, get it done, become a patron, sign up. You know it makes sense. You know we deserve it. You know we deserve it, right? There's no reason we wouldn't deserve it. Think about what we've done and what we've given you. Head over there and uh, send a message that you want to be part of this Marvel, this particular Marvel universe. What should we call our... We need to have a name for our, 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 our group of audience, Will. We need to have something, right? It can't be the the Marvel universe. Could it be the verses? What about the versus verse? The ver- the verse the versiverse. The verse verse. The verse verse. Verse verse. Okay, I'm going the with verse- that then. So- yeah. Sorry, I, I I I just came up with it just in a second. Like, what can we say? Verse verse. No, I like it. Verse verse. Verse verse is good. Join the verse verse. <laughs> it sounds like you're drunk or have something going on with your mouth. The verse verse. There's yeah, no, I like going it. On with my mouth, believe me. <laughs> Head over to Patreon, join the Versiverse, <laughs> and let us know just how much you care. <sighs> well, yeah, that's the business taken care of, right? We got a lot of business, that's the to take business care of. taken care of. Yeah, that, that's, that's or was one little stuff. thing. Yeah, I've had these messages that question why, when we do this next bit, will when we hand the show over to you. Why do we talk about videotapes and VHS? That's what people are asking. And I got my answer for you. If you want to know, it's because VHS was better. Videotape was better. Perfect quality, right, does not equal perfect experience. Okay? Never has that equated the other. Ever. You take a look at TikTok and at Instagram. All the hot apps right now, what are they looking to do? They're looking to recreate the 1980s, 1990s VHS look. You look at the hottest trends in, 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 in filmmaking, especially documentary filmmaking, what are they looking to do? They're looking to recreate that old videotape look. And the reason for that is because VHS was better. Because it reminds us of a time when when all this content wasn't when there wasn't a million different types of content available at our fingertips when we made difficult choices about what we <laughs> wanted to enjoy and consume. 
That's why VHS is better. That's why we talk about videotapes and pressing play and and put the tape in the deck because we know we grew up. I you don't understand, man. I went to the video store to rent the CBS Spider-Man TV movie on video and get to hold it for two days and then send it back and then spend a month wishing I still had it, but I my folks didn't have the money for it. And then maybe I'd go back and get the, the Hulk one. And I spent all week waiting for the new uh, X-Men cartoon episode on a Saturday morning. And there's seven days in between where you don't get anything else. Everything was better. Everything was better when it wasn't click, click, watch now. Yeah. So that's why we do it. I got that off my chest. <laughs> it's appreciation. I totally get it. But I kind of like having everything at my fingertips. I'm incredibly lazy. <laughs> I hate making difficult decisions when I have everything at my fingertips. This disappoints me, Will. Do you, can you pick a movie straight away then? Well, like... Re- when you want to watch something... Yeah. I can-, can you... Is it... Is it like a good 20 minutes to 30 minutes before you can find something you really want to watch? Or, or and, and, and you kind of, and if it's a quicker pick, are you like just settling for something, right? Or are you always able to get what you want when you want it? I'm always able to get what I want when I want it because I plan in advance. I have a list of films I need to see this and I will guy. watch them. <laughs> this guy. And fa- okay. failing that, I just put on the Big Lebowski again. That's my go-to okay, film. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, you've got that big rented blockbuster video in your hand. Pop open the plastic case. Oh, yes. Take, take it out. Smell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Smell that plastic. Smell that black plastic. Push it through the slot. Take over the show, Will. Press play. Okay, so let's press play. Sorry, let's press play. A powerful tele. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I want to let everybody at home know because uh, I'm sober. Um, I'm currently drinking zero uh, percent Heineken, and for some reason, I've just slurred my words. I think it's all a marketing ploy. Is it chilled at least? It is chilled. Yeah, I had it ice cold. Okay, it's good. I'm having it from a my couple old of- man. Mm. My old man is a. Uh, He's a he's a he's a non-drinker really, and he he love he loves to buy these tasteless zero zero percent alcohol drinks, and uh, he he consumes them lukewarm, and it turns my beer drinking stomach. It's um, you got to have them cold. It's like a little soft drink, but kind of yeah. tastes like beer. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, right. I will not Let's I will go. not slur my words. It's all going to be fine. Let's press play. A powerful teleporting mutant, Nightcrawler, tries to assassinate the president in the White House. Teleporting in and out of sight, he easily takes apart dozens of security service men, is about to stab the president in the Oval Office, but vanishes after being shot in the arm. He leaves behind a message that says, Mutant freedom now. The incident stirs up anti-mutant feelings around the country supporting the Mutant Registration Act that eliminates peaceful coexistence. So, we'll get on to this, possibly one of my favourite scenes in the film. But um, I want to point out that this is the first X-Men film to use the theme tune. Because, believe it or not, the X-Men film series does have a theme tune. 
And it's. Would you please, Will, take us through the X Men theme tune? Yeah, that's the that's the film X Men theme film the film series X Men theme tune. Yeah. Now, and does it? It really only plays at the start when when the the first logo comes up, doesn't it? Yeah. So not really a theme tune, then, is it? It's just a title screen. Now. Lean in, everyone. Lean in. <laughs> Imagine exactly the same sequence of events. Exactly the same. Nightcrawler in, in the White House, the Oval Office, the fight, right? Imagine all of that. And then imagine when it cuts away and the logo starts up. Imagine that 90s... Tell me that wouldn't be... A much greater moment, and get everyone in the audience pumped, right? It's, it's they, they just whatever deal needed to be done. That cartoon was made for 20th Century Fox, right? That it, it can't have been difficult to get hold of it and just buy it. It's so much better than this like faux dramatic nonsense that they're using. <laughs> it's not particularly memorable. It's not iconic. It's not like the Batman theme song. In fact, when they made the Batman animated TV series, they knew there was no point making a different song. They went and got the rights to the Tim Burton music and used it for the the cartoon. Because when you've written something iconic and memorable, you should use it again and again. When they did Superman Returns... What music do they use for Superman? They use the classic Superman theme song, right? Same with Star Wars. You don't need to rewrite these things. And I, I know maybe the the 90s cartoon series wasn't perhaps considered a classic by the time we got to the year 2000, but I defy anyone to sit down and listen. Everyone involved in that movie should have watched that cartoon series and they should have walked out of it with one thought in their mind, one thought, and that was... God damn, Barry, we need to buy the rights to that theme song. <laughs> Bugs me they don't use it, but okay. The uh, the Batman theme, uh, the Tim Burton one, still sends shivers down my spine, especially used in the opening of the animated series. Superb opening for a cartoon. But yeah, um, before we get to the... Brave uh, and the Bold is better. <coughs> Just going to leave that what? there and move on. Oh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Batman to... the Brave and the Bold. Batman the Brave and the Bold, it's better. Just, there we go, better. All right, all right, all right. I'll I'll check it out it later is. and then maybe it agree is. with you. How about that? The the animated sit Batman the animated series, which won all the awards, and I mean like yep. like it won like Emmys, it won like yeah. proper awards, proper and it was really well Grown thought up of. Awards. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. If I sit down with my and I have done with my six seven year old niece, right uh, nephew, sorry, godson. Anyway, <laughs> what well, someone I know who's seven. I just take children with me to watch cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) He, he, like, kids, that show, man, and I loved it when I was an older child, but kids cannot sit down and watch that show. It is so long. It is so... The aesthetic is 1930s. Like, how is that relevant? And it is tons and tons of, like, guys in suits going... Whereas Batman the Brave and the Bold, Batman is always in costume, 
right? He makes a he makes a bunch of jokes. The Batmobile transforms into a robot that fights people. It's just awesome. Anyway, carry on. I, I'm just having a look at Batman. Yeah, that looks like a that looks like a cartoon for children. It's just it's just tremendous fun. Well, no, yeah. but, but, it Batman has like three other superheroes in. Yeah, Sorry? Batman. Batman. I was about to say Batman the animated series was that nice bridge between. This is a cartoon, but adults can enjoy it too. And that, I think that's why yep. I end up getting on DVD yep. later in yep. life because they're still good. And I'm a yeah, big yeah, Batman I, fan. I, I, will, I, I love it, but. We might you know, cover Batman yeah. later in this podcast. I'm not sure. I'm, hey, I'm... listen. If you want us to do Marvel versus Marvel DC edition, <laughs> you get in touch, guys, because we're open to it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, please no, no, resume no. the movie. Please resume. I uh, want to point out, as usual, we have Sir Patrick Stewart. Is it Sir Patrick Stewart? Because I he just oh. sounds like a sir. Oh, at this stage. Oh, he is sir. Yeah. He, Sir Patrick Stewart, always doing always, the realm. always doing his little monologues at the starts of the film, which I always always enjoy. Always, well, I mean, apart from the newer ones, but they, these ones were just brilliant. And there's one line that that's that made me go ooh ooh as the film's about to begin, which was sharing the world has never been humanity's most defining attribute, and it's like ooh sick burn humanity unable to share. <laughs> <laughs> We're struggling to share it right now with COVID. I mean, it's just getting harder and harder. Yeah, I know. Look how look how look how relevant this film is. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think I think we should get on to um, what, what every every because I looked at what uh, people have been saying when we posted around saying what was your experience with X Men Two, and everybody said the opening scene in the White House is by far the best moment, and it is. I, I yeah. watch it again, yeah. and it's just wonderfully done. And what what I loved about it is they just use Mozart's Requiem. They they didn't go well. We'll we'll do a score. Let's play Mozart's Requiem while it happens, and it works. It works like a bloody charm. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lovely bit with where they're going. Where it where the Secret Service men? He's he's Nightcrawler's run off one way, and he goes, "Where is he?" And then you see him run across across behind him. Like obviously it's a second guy, but it was just a nice little effect. But just shows you how hectic that must have been, you know, if that was happening. It was. Oh. It's a Scooby Doo corridor, <laughs> <laughs> what, right? What, he comes it up is. to six it's doors. Scooby Doo corridor. Six doors opposite yeah. each other, and they all go in, and suddenly they all come out wearing costumes. Yeah. Well, listen. Nightcrawler runs off one side of the screen and appears in the background, running in. You know, it's a, there's a Scooby Doo <laughs> corridor, and it's great. It's brilliant, and they use it to a very different effect. But it's a Scooby Doo corridor. It's a Hanna Barbera corridor. You can't argue with that. <laughs> I, I think that's like a technical film studies term. He goes, "Oh, you see, when they run off, and it's like doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a Scooby Doo corridor. We, we call it that." And of course, Gotta when he get, when he there was there's a good shot where, as we say, this is definitely not a film review podcast. There's a good shot where the camera. Goes through the door, like like through the people in the door where they're all surrounding the president, and it's just you can tell a lot of care, a lot of creativity has gone into this scene. And when when uh, Nightcrawler just comes through and he's teleporting all around and just take him out, you, I will admit that some some of these X Men films have aged a bit, but this bit genuinely feels like a, a more modern day Marvel film. You know how the choreography in the fight scenes in a, in a modern MCU film are just always impeccable, brilliant. It felt like that. Yeah. It was ahead of its time in terms of chore- chore- well, uh, fight scenes in a, in a Marvel film. 
what what stood out for me is that I saw this um, around the same time I watched Age of Ultron, which okay. we are you know getting ready to cover. Oh yes, and there are no group fight scenes in this movie. Oh right? no! They don't exist. I just realised this is a movie full of superhero characters. Yeah. There are no group fight scenes. They don't do them. No. They they all come together and they go. Okay, let's split up. <laughs> Because they just don't seem to have the facility, ability, or knowledge, or confidence to pull them off. It was the same in the first one, Mm. and it's very similar in the next one as well. And it's very noticeable that, and and even when the, even when the later X Men movies come along, the group fight scenes are very much like a Pokemon battle. It's turn based, (laughs) right? Oh, you yeah. do your move, and then he does his move, yeah. and then she does their move, and and then when you watch something like Age of Ultron, I mean, I it just blows you away in terms yeah. of how they choreographed that to go. But look at all of this happening at the same time in the panoramic view, and all of that. You know, it, it feels it, it 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 doesn't. Sometimes some of these movies with the X Men feel a bit like the old trait of the martial arts movie where there's one guy and it's Bruce Lee or whoever and there's there's 13 dudes about to kick his ass and the 13 dudes go in one at a time yeah. maybe two at a time <laughs> and the rest are like just hanging back like waiting for their turn so they can do a one slash two person fight scene they, they do that a lot in some video games like Assassin's Creed they do this thing where you have like six guards after you and they, again, they surround you and maybe two at a time come in because they haven't programmed it to make it that hectic. Yeah. So they, they, the limitations, yeah. oh God, it, it annoys me because you just have, all you need is three guys to run up behind him and grab his arms. Grab his arms. <laughs> it, it worked in ages, when it came to taking out Thanos, which we'll cover later, obviously, they did what all those people should have done. They dogpiled him and grabbed yep. his arms. That's yep. how all of those fight scenes should pan out. Grab his arms and punch him in the face. Don't care about honor. If you've ever worked in a, if you've ever been like me and worked in a pub in Britain before, you know exactly how <laughs> three on one fights take place. <laughs> um, it is it is none of this hanging around taking your time business. You jump no. on him. No, exactly. Anyway, it's. Just to reiterate, back back to back to the point. Opening scene, what a way to start the film! Perfect. So this is also a great introduction for Nightcrawler, who wasn't in the last film. Uh, is he good? This or the next fight? one? Or the next one? Yeah, apparently it's, there's, there's something. Are we covering that later about what happened to him? Because apparently that gets explained in a video game. His absence Ooh, from. I don't. I mean, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen. Yeah. If you have to explain something from a movie in a in a tie-in video game, <laughs> you did not you did not want people to know about it. So I I ain't got I have not I got I got work in the morning. I ain't got time for this. <laughs> I thought that would be the case. I ain't got time to go and buy a video game to explain why you messed up a movie, fellas. Just you know. Yeah, it's an expensive apology. Um, so is he this is, is Nightcrawler this good at fighting in the comic books? It's interesting. He he doesn't have any military training like he seems to have here. Yeah, he's not a military based. You know, as we as we get onto the movie, we discover this military connection that Nightcrawler has. He does not have that in the comic books. In 
you know, and then, hey, here, here we go. Uh, he does, however, in the ultimate Marvel universe. There we go. In the ultimate, yeah, in ultimate Marvel comics, he is a part of Weapon X with Wolverine. But in the regular 616 traditional Marvel universe, I, I bear with me, has Ultimate, ultimate X-Men would have launched by this point, yeah. Yes, it would have done. So there might have been that to draw upon. He he has very Nightcrawler has very unique acrobatic abilities and circus training, a bit like Robin in the Munich in Circus. Munich. Yeah, I love. He keeps repeating all that throughout the whole yeah. thing. He has this um, bone structure which makes him incredibly flexible. His spine yeah. doesn't work like ours, so he can curve and he can hunch and he can like hang and suspend in certain ways he has suction cups on the pads of his hands and feet so he can stick to walls oh, better wow. and he actually has this because of the nature of his fur he can blend into shadows and, and almost be invisible when there's shade and shadow around mm. um, he can use his legs and his feet in the same way he can use his hands and his arms and his tail, he can grip and and operate things with his tail. You know, he's a highly skilled swordsman. Mm. He can, you know, he's he, lots of circus training plus all this incredible, you know, athletic kind of agility going on. Um, and he really, in the Marvel universe, created and perfected using teleportation as part of his fighting skill set. That is shown quite a lot. This, we call it bamfing. Uh, bamf. When, when he teleports in the comic books, there's a sound effect. Yeah. The sound effect is B-A-M-F. Bamf. 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 So he, he bamfs in and out of... When he's fighting you, he's like, he punches you in the jaw, punches you in the stomach, bamfs out, then bamfs behind you, punches you in the kidney... Elbows you in the back of their head, bamps out, bamps on the knee shoe, punches you in the ball, you know, all of that. Every time you take a swing, he's disappeared. You know, so if you think about using all that, although he might not be a military trained assassin or whatever, yeah. that circus training, that natural, uh, vast agility, plus being able to think about using teleportation, not just to go from one place to another, but to use it during a fight. To it's, it's almost like how the Flash fights. The Flash fights, you know, he's not he's not incredibly gifted as a as a fighter or, or very strong, but he can hit you three hundred times from three hundred different directions in one go, and that's yeah. kind of almost Nightcrawler. Really, he can go very very quick, and you're not going to using yeah. using momentum on his side and uh, misdirection. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't grab him. You can't. You might land one punch, but then he's gone. So yeah, exactly. Oh, very, very hard to fight something. It's like fighting a huge bar of soap. And <laughs> I don't know why. It's like fighting mist. Fighting mist. Fighting mist. That's not a name of an X Man. Anyway, we catch up with Wolverine, hoping to learn things about his origins. Wolverine has trekked to Snowy Alkali Lake, but finds nothing there except abandoned and decayed buildings near a huge white dam. Meanwhile, students from Xavier's School for the Gifted Youngsters are visiting a museum. Jean Grey confesses to Cyclops that she's afraid of not being able to control her powers. In the meantime, Rogue 
her boyfriend Iceman, and troubled student Pyro get into a disagreement with some bullies in the museum. Pyro sets one of the humans on fire, forcing Iceman to expose his powers in public to put the fire out. Professor X has to halt the conflict by pausing every human mind in the museum. <laughs> I I just found obviously this is a this is a scene that's basically oh here, here's here's everybody else here's what they're up to. I mean, obviously, we have a Wolverine uh, is trying to find out about his past because that ties into where the other film is. But here, they're randomly at a museum, and for some reason, there are bullies at the museum. Where? Why were these bullies at the museum? Were they going, "Hey, man, hey, Chad, do you want to go to the Natural History Museum? We can pick a <laughs> fight." What? I just assumed it was another school. Okay, that that would make like sense. Like you've got a school. But yeah, it's like a school. My sister works. My sister actually does the tours at the um, at the Museum of, of, of Art and History in Birmingham, mm. and so she she you know when because the only time you ever see these tours in these museums and art galleries is in movies, and I always yeah. go, hey, my sister does that. So in, in this glorious, wonderful old uh, museum and art gallery in Birmingham, my sister gives the tours to school kids, and they do have like they'll have three or four different schools in one go because it's a different class from each school and yeah. it's just kind of cheaper and easy to organise. Oh, that, 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 so that there you go. Sense. Shot that one down. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's a case of, I, I assumed some of them are older because they did that thing that everybody did in the 90s and noughties where, hey, it's a high school student and they're clearly in their 20s. Oh my God, it's brutal. I've gone, I'm starting, I, I've just gone back during lockdown to rewatch Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. and I'm like, yeah. How did I ever believe these kids? Like Willow is the only one where you can go, okay, she looks like she could be 16, yeah. maybe 15, right? The rest of them, you go, well, you're the same age as that teacher. <laughs> you're, t- you're clearly 25, and so are they. So what's the what is the, what's going on here? And and it only takes one of them like to, to get a different haircut, and you suddenly go, no, no, you're clearly ten years older than you're meant to be because of that haircut. That stylish haircut has ruined the illusion of this show. Yeah, it's brutal, <laughs> isn't it? When you when you go, I don't I don't know what you're. And it's the older you get. When you're younger, somehow I don't know why, but maybe it's because you view yourself as being older. But you're like, yeah, no, that's about right. Yeah, rogue. Yeah, she's uh, she could be she could be uh, sixteen. She could be twenty four. It's all the same. <laughs> but when you look back at it, you go, nope, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's it 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 just cut comes off odd. Uh, going back to the scene though, when uh, when Jean Grey's going, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't control my powers. Obviously, they they they're putting the seeds in motion. They put the ball rolling for Phoenix. You know immediately that's happening. Right, okay. How do you know that? Okay, because I did my Wikipedia research. Well, back then it wasn't Wikipedia, it was random searches on the internet. I read about Dark Phoenix. I I knew about. Before you saw this movie? Not before I saw. I'm talking. Okay, okay, I'm talking. As (laughs) Zach's. uh, What was it? LJ Defunct. Well, that's. Retrospectively. we 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 need to watch that then, don't we? Because. Yeah, I. That's not. That would not be clear. I mean, it is clear to to us now. To, yeah. But at the time, yeah. I mean, even if even it's even clear to people who've seen the next film, you go, "All oh, right, it's built into that." 
But at the time, it, it wouldn't be that case, would it? Yeah, I did my fair bit of internet research without reading any comics back in the day for some bizarre reason because it was back. I think it was back in the day when you could only get comics if you bought them off eBay, and I didn't know where to start. And I think the only time I bought comic book from eBay was um, RoboCop what? versus Terminator. What do you mean you could only get comics off? What? What do you mean? That I, I, mean, I, I online. I, I had barely any com- uh, barely any money at, at that point in my life, and I could. And the uh, nearest comic book shops were quite expensive, so I I would buy like oh, off right, second hand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just just yeah. That that's that, that sure. that's my past. Yeah. But um, I I just went on the internet and just went oh okay, so let's read about these characters. Oh, Jean Grey becomes Phoenix. Okay, so this is some kind of thing. But anyway. You can tell. Jean Grey doesn't become Phoenix. <coughs> oh God, let's get let's get yeah, all, look out, yeah. everybody. It's Edgar Allan pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> Strap in! Oh, I can't wait till we get to this next X Men Three movie. I'm so, going to destroy you with pedantry. One of you Patreon scum better ask us to do it. One of you has to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, honestly, uh, Phil. Uh, Will's plea is to not have us cover X-Men 3. He does not want it to happen, folks. So, who do you love? That's what you're going to decide out there. This is, this is beca- If you've got that Patreon subscription, yep. who do you love? This is turning into the X-Factor. <laughs> so, anyway, that's what I saw retrospectively. They get the ball rolling for the whole Phoenix thing. Not saying she's Phoenix, because apparently that sets you off. <laughs> Jean Grey. <laughs> okay. Also, um... Again, we're not a movie. We're not a movie review show. Uh, Everybody standing still is very well filmed. Have you ever tried to stand still? Very hard. Very hard. It's like that. What was that? That that um, that, that craze wasn't there. Do you remember what? that craze? Mannequin craze. Mannequin challenge. Recently? Oh yeah. I, I mean, that, recently yeah. in the last I don't know three four years. Yeah, yeah. That was huge, that wasn't it? Yeah, that was quite a good challenge. That's all it is. Sort of if people can do it in a in a factory for no money, then you know Lardy Dars can do it on set for uh, you know standard saga rate. Standard saga rate, or SSR as it's called in the business. Uh, yeah, I I, I I I I just think it was very well done, very well done. I liked it. But anyway, um, let's focus on the students. One thing that bugs me, right? Just one thing that bugs me. Okay, when that is written about online. Yeah. Everywhere I look at it, it talks about Professor Xavier freezing time. <laughs> and it is very important to me that you know Professor Xavier is not, does not, and cannot freeze time. That is not what's happening. And I know that is all they're doing is they're just trying to think of the shortest, quickest way of conveying the information in text. He is not freezing time. He has no ability to do that. What he's doing is he's shutting brains down. Yeah. <laughs> he is psychically stopping them from thinking and moving and you know, he's just pausing the humans. Animals are moving around. A clock still does tick. <laughs> and it's very important to me we all an ice lolly is dripping and melting while he's doing that, right? He's not freezing time. He's just I guess pausing everyone's brains to a, yes. to a certain extent, and that's important that you know that. Please carry on. 
Things to not mention again. Charles Xavier freezing time and Jean Grey being Phoenix. We're making a list, people, and we're not checking Phoenix. it twice. <laughs> okay, so back to the students. What can you tell us about Pyro? He He's basically the natural opposite for Iceman, isn't he? He seems like it, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, he's never been uh, Xavier's student. He's never been seen as a teenager, yep. and he's never had much to do with Iceman ever. <laughs> really, not like this, anyway. Mm. Um, Pyro is an Australian criminal. Which is, is there a big any leap other kind? For a comic book. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> boo, boo, boo! We've got racist. at least three, three listeners in Australia. How dare you, Will? That is They're a slap people in their sunburnt faces um, he's an Australian criminal with the power to manipulate fire but not create it Yeah, he cannot create fire and that's what you see in this movie that he always relies on the, uh, the, the, the his lighter, his fire lighter mm. fire lighter? his cigarette lighter <laughs> to spark the fire and then he can manipulate the fire so in the comic books he carries. He has a flamethrower built into his suit, and that kind of like runs a piping of, of gas or whatever down his mm. down his down his sleeve, and out of his wrist, he's got this 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 flamethrower, and he can create fire from that. <laughs> oh, all I'm uh, thinking Pyro... now. Sorry, all I'm thinking is Job from Arrested Development, <laughs> where the lo- where, where the lighter fluid come from. <laughs> to... That's exactly what he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's about. He's just as capable as that as well. Yeah. <laughs> as as Joe Joe. Yeah. He 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 served Mystique and her second generation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants after Magneto had kind of left. Which then became the government sanctioned Freedom Force, which is a really little neat idea from the seventies. Um and you know, he's a through and through criminal. Yeah. A through and yeah. through just he's not he just he has no desire to go straight or to live a normal life he has a, a long-standing friendship with one of his fellow uh, brotherhood members uh, a criminal called avalanche who can cause small scale earthquakes and stuff like that he sadly sadly hmm, is it okay he contracted uh, something called the legacy virus in the 1990s. That is a very 90s sounding Marvel virus. <laughs> yeah. The, the X-Men in the 90s. Just, it felt like what they wanted to do. Was tackle AIDS. Like a decade too late. And. Yeah. As part of their whole. You know. T- tackling um, being other. And being different and prejudice. And they did it in a very convoluted. And, and, and not very good way really and it was just a they had something called the legacy virus that was indiscriminately targeting and and killing mutants and he was killed off by that and he had quite a he's the thing about pyro is he's one of those guys that uh, he's not evil he's not going to start he doesn't want to kill the whole world he doesn't want to you know start flame you know roasting Small babies and children and wives and stuff. <laughs> he he's like he's in it for the for the money and for the the kind of like he, he likes to mess with people who don't respect him and things like that. But he's not necessarily he's not like an 
super maniacally evil Mr. Sinister or or Apocalypse or whatever. So he had kind of like a, a slightly, I don't know, noble send-off, but there was mm. a certain amount of humanity and empathy for him when he died. And then he came back to life quite recently, so there you go. Okay. Get get ready for that, folks, because there's a thread in this episode. Um, so-and-so was so-and-so and so-and-so, and then he died. But he came back to life because it's the X-Men, and they always come back to life. They came back to life. Like E.T. Anyway. <laughs> they have a joking... There's, there's a joking catchphrase with the X-Men. It became mm. um, prevalent towards the end of the 80s and start of the 90s. And it was a gag. And it became a catchphrase of the X-Men because it was, I thought you died. And the other person would say, I got better. <laughs> and it just... They started to do it. Clement, when he's writing it, he just starts running it out because he's like, yeah. you all, Because as the reader, we've all seen the issue explaining how he didn't really die or how he was mm. resurrected. But the other characters are like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. And the other X-Men, the X-Men is like, yeah, I got better. <laughs> and it became their kind of catchphrase for yeah. about 10 years. I liked, uh, I've probably said it before, but a, a joke I liked someone pointed out was uh, Cyclops had some balls he cheated on his. He cheated on Jean Grey, despite the fact she can read minds. <laughs> yeah, I I find that did hilarious. he though? Oh, okay, okay. But did I, he I, though? I read it somewhere else. Yeah. I read it on Crack dot com ten years oh, ago. Oh, mate, having a relationship with a psychic is every human being's worst nightmare. Yeah, you don't want anyone. To, you don't want. You don't want. I mean, if it's someone I'm ne- I've never met before and I'm never going to meet again, I guess walking past them and them knowing what I'm thinking about, it's not a big deal. I don't love the idea of it, mm. but someone... Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't want... I don't want exes talking to each other, let alone two of them knowing what I'm... Th- oh, Jesus. I just don't bear thinking about it. It's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's we- a horrifying. It's a horror story. Yeah. Let's not think about it. Well, hey, lads. No. <laughs> anyway, we're now introduced... To the antagonist. The assassination attempt prompts the president to grant more power to the aggressive Colonel William Stryker. Stryker harbors a clear hatred for mutants and gains presidential approval to attack the Xavier School, which he claims is a terrorist cell. It's revealed that Stryker has obtained his information on the Xavier School by interrogating Magneto. Senator Kelly who is really mystique in disguise, tries to gain access to speak to Magneto, but is denied. Later, Stryker visits Magneto in his plastic prison, demands to know everything about Xavier's mutant locating computer, Cerebro, and then places a strange chemical on Magneto's neck, which seems to subdue him. Um, I am gonna... I'm gonna come out with something hot. It's a take right out of the oven. Oh. Why had, oh. it, doesn't anybody mention that everyone saw Senator Kelly naked on a beach in the last film? It, loads <laughs> of people were there. He came up naked and confused, and I'm surprised he's still a senator. Like, like that, 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 that's incredible Joe Biden vibes. <laughs> Just, was he on TV and stuff? Was it? Do we see it via a TV? I, crew I or something? think. I think. Well, even if there wasn't a TV crew there. How many people were there and how much hush money must have been handed around saying you did not see this important political figure naked on a beach confused in broad daylight? No. 
no camera phones. That things were a lot harder to uh, a lot easier to deny back then. Yeah. Listen, what's the number one reason why we don't why there's been a a, a, a catastrophic drop off in UFO sightings in the last several years? It's because everyone's got a reliable camera phone, <laughs> and so there are no you know nonsense photos anymore. There's a really good also, graph. Also, how similar. How, how, how similar was all of that to um, uh, there's the, 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 a scientist dude in in Avengers and then Thor? You remember he, oh, he got possessed? Yeah. He got he got possessed and he, he started running around. St- he started st- running around naked. Start bollock naked. But he was around Stonehenge, and I think that sort of behaviour yeah. is normal around Stonehenge. You know what I mean? I'm not not, to, in, not yeah. to insult it's both fair. of our druid listeners, but you know, I I, I imagine that sort of goes. That, that's kind of the vibe with that. Um, also, oh, the druid community's naked right now, listening to this. Will they, they've got their their crystals and they've got their you know they they got their stuff hanging out. You can't insult them. You can't insult them. They're they're, they're a big demographic. Uh, <laughs> demograph. Also, um, further to this, Mystique keeping up the appearance would take most of her time. That is a surprising amount of time and effort that she's do- using to pretend to being Senator Kelly. That, I mean, that 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 disguise has got to ruin at some point. It's got to grow old. Like someone's going to see through it. But, uh, but that but that listen, man, I'm telling you that that's mis- mis- that is mystique. She has track record in the comic books of doing this. Oh God! When we when we first meet Mystique in the comic books. Yeah. She's posing as a woman called um, Raven Darkholm. Yeah. And she stays in this identity for years and works her way up through the ranks of civil service <laughs> until she is deputy director of DARPA, like proper Ooh. US government defense advanced research project agency. That's where she is when we very first, the very first time we see her. She's a high ranking government kind of agent, um, not agent, official. Who is also a shapeshifting mutant, um, and she she is very capable of doing this. Um, when she first meets Sabretooth, she's been posing as a German secret agent for a long time, and they have a relationship together while she's posing as this government spy. She is married to German nobility for a long time, and is posing as a normal kind of human. Lady of Germany, and and um, when Norman Osborn was running America, and we need to do a bonus episode about Dark Reign because I don't think it's going to come up. That's what we'll do, right? Okay, because okay. I can't, this has no, got to be the fifth time I've br- brought it up. So okay, look out for that. The bonus episode about about the Dark Reign storyline. So when Norman Osborn is running America, not only does he have a team of Dark Avengers to replace the actual Avengers who are now outlaws. But he wants to convince America that he alone has solved the mutant human problem that's been going on for 40 years. And he does that by having his own team of compliant X-Men. And as part of that, he has Mystique pose as Xavier for a long period of time and sit in a wheelchair and be wheeled around (laughs) and make all these... Uh, make all these wonderful speeches about mutant human relations. So she's got the, uh, she can do it, man. She's very, very. 
thing to remember about Mystique is she's been around for a long, long time. I think she's older than Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. So she's got a lot of cover identities, and she can she can put the hours in. She can get it done. Although that kind that 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 kind of gets ruined in first class when you see her as a child. So she's not that old. In the, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it just I mean, she, the idea of her being very old is is kind of an almost new modern interpretation. So yeah. I don't mind that too much. I I'm a big fan of Jennifer Lawrence in pretty much everything, but I I I I I don't think I like that prequel new. Mystique take. I just don't think it. Um, I don't know. I, I've got a lot of problems with the X Men series. They don't seem to know what they're doing, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I agree. I really, really don't like the idea of Mystique being Charles Xavier's sister. I think it's just weird. Well, mm, yeah. Well, they kind of was it was it sister or was it just like they they acted like they were brother and sister. Oh, no, he takes her in and, and from the street and yeah. She lives with him, and then they go to school together, and I don't know, just don't know. weird. But yeah, kind of ruined that. And anyway, I think there's yeah. other roles you could have found for her, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But they like tying these things together for a cohesive Hollywood plot, don't they? Again, we're not a they film do. review podcast. You got to remember that we're not a film review podcast. So back, boo. Boo. back at the school, Wolverine returns to the school, reunites with Rogue, and is introduced to Iceman as her boyfriend. Wolverine seeks out Xavier to get more answers about his past. The Professor shows him the powerful Cerebro system which can connect him to everyone on the planet, mutants and humans alike. He is searching for the mutant who attacked the President. Xavier jokingly warns that if he thinks too hard while using Cerebro, he could kill thousands of people. Wolverine wants the Professor to read his mind again for more information about his past. But Xavier explains that he can't Wolver- he can't tell Wolverine ev- everything. That he will have to find out some things for himself. So when I, I want to, I know this is a stupid observation, but when uh, he, Wolverine meets uh, Rogue and Iceman, and he goes, "How do you? How I'm do you?" Just getting, I'm just gearing up for this. I'm gearing up. Like any time you you admit going in, it's going to be a stupid observation. Like okay, I'm primed. Yeah, what are we going with, buddy? Is this going to be part of the bingo sheet you're constructing of things? No, 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 no. No, that's no, 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 no. Maybe, maybe. What? I'm just curious. Listen, is this a Simpsons reference? Is it a video game reference? I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn. Let's have it. Let's have it. Anyway, he says, like, oh, we were like, well, okay, I've lost where I am now. Wolverine, our size man, and. Rogue, how do you guys, you know, and he, and Iceman goes, which hey, stop, let's stop there. That's a creepy mfing thing to say, dude. You're an old man. It's not <laughs> cool to go to teenagers. Listen, I work with with some youngsters, some people in their teens and their early twenties. How am I? I'm, there's no, there's nothing they could say to me that when we go, how do y'all two get it together in the sheets then? <laughs> like there's not. <laughs> I would be immediately investigated. But here comes creepy old Wolverine. Wolverine. It's okay. He's all hunky like Hugh Jackman. If he looks like Hugh Jackman, he's allowed to ask about teenagers' sex lives in front of them. That it's makes fine. it it's worse. Fine. Or hunky. Worse. As long as you're hunky. But anyway, um, 
when he asked that, which I, I agree is very creepy, all I can envision um, them is like wearing two body sized condoms like that scene in The Naked Gun. Do you remember that bit? <laughs> where it goes, I like to well, practice they just, safe they just sex. just run at each other on the bed and jump yeah. and. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to practice Have you got safe protection? sex. Yeah, and, and it's like he has those, oh. what's it, they're called long doms, and it was like this human sized condoms that they're wearing. <laughs> it's just perfect. Yeah, man. So, creepy Wolverine, as <laughs> he might be known, uh, sticks with the X Men so that Xavier can help him with his past. Is that the same in the comic books? Um, not, not to begin with, no. Um, that idea started to surface in the 1980s around Chris Claremont's run on, on the X-Men when they began to make more of a big deal about his mysterious past mm. and it became like one of the defining points of, of his character, which is a really cool point to the character, but he mm. didn't really have it to begin with. It's not like like day one they introduced him or the, or the very first few times they introduced him he was like hi my name's Wolverine Bob and I don't know who I am I got a mysterious past it kind of evolved over time as as Clement was writing the character yeah um, but even when it was introduced it was never quite as transactional as it is in the movie yeah in, in the movie it's very much I do this for you you do this for me and it's never quite like that in the comic mm. books it, Wolverine is a lot more although he's gruffer than everyone else and he's a bit moody than everyone else he does want to be there and having the most powerful telepath on the planet help him explore his damaged brain is a is is a bonus and, and it's part of what he's about but yeah he, he when when the you know we talked about this in the first X Men podcast we did, the original X Men get eaten by a living island, and Professor X has to recruit, you know, some other stand-ins to take over, and Wolverine's one of those stand-ins, and he recruits him from um, Canadian secret intelligence agency called Department H, that Wolverine's pretty much just kind of done with and, and leaves and joins the X Men. But during, I mean, that's way back in the seventies. During the two thousand and five crossover event, House of M, Wolverine regains all of his lost memories, all of them, oh, from when wow. he was a child right the way through. Yeah, every mind wipe, every false memory implanted in him by all these different awful people over the years was undone. He is, for the first time ever. He's able to finally know the complete truth about his life. What is an implant and what isn't. What was white and what was still there. And that's when Wolverine remembers that the only reason he agreed to join the X-Men was so he could assassinate Charles Xavier. (laughs) He had been... Marvel, it was really a great move, right? So when... Wolverine's mysterious past is a great attraction in the character, right? It's a it's it, it's a really cool character trait, and it drives a lot of stories about him, and it leads to a lot of exciting avenues. All these doors that that are kind of left open and not closed, mm. you know, you don't know what's going on with them, right? It's really exciting. 
when you decide to close all those doors, it can go one of two ways. The, 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 the number one way is you just shut out all these exciting ideas and opportunities and go, now you know everything about this character. It's a bit like the Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. When you don't know everything about his past... It's exciting and thrilling, and you can allude to it, and you can have mysterious characters from his past appear and go away and never reveal everything. When you tell everyone everything, it shuts a lot of doors, Mm. and you kind of go, okay, I know all about him now. Well, Marvel did a very, very good job with a writer called Daniel Way of changing the status quo, which had been there since the 80s, up until 2005, we can't keep doing this no-one-knows nonsense. Mm. And they created this 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 thing of he gets all these memories back, but it actually opened a whole lot of other doors. And there was suddenly a wealth of new characters. And Wolverine got taken in these new directions, and he had a past as a, as a, as a real cold-hearted, vicious, psychotic villain... And you know, it just it just led different stories in different directions and made his character journey more uh rich rather than you know what he is. He did this, he did this, he did this, and here he is. It was yeah. very, very clever. Uh, and, and part of that was this re- revelation that he'd been manipulated and almost brainwashed for a very long period of time by a powerful shadow crime lord called Romulus. Romulus. Yeah, and, and and this guy, it, it, I know it sounds weird, uh, but he 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 has a. So he's this, he's part of a strain of evolution that did not evolve from monkeys, but evolved from wolves. So uh, Romulus kind of makes linguistic sense. Um, oh yes. Anyway, he yes. Yeah. he manipulated him, yeah, and brainwashed Wolverine into uh, going to assassinate Professor Xavier. Mm. But uh, this guy kind of didn't quite grasp Xavier's powers. So day one, Wolverine rocks up. Xavier looks inside his head and goes, Oh, this guy's about to stab me. I'm going <laughs> to take care of that. <laughs> and like pops out all of that brainwashing and manipulation and takes all those psychotic assassination thoughts out of his head. And Wolverine's like, Ah, I think I'll stick around and be a superhero then. So, um, yeah. Yeah, his backstory. Honestly, it would take us three episodes to go through Wolverine's history. It's it's dense. Yeah, I was about to say we we better we better be very brief with Wolverine in this episode. Only when when it's relevant. We've got a lot to go. I mean, we there's, there's a whole movie about his stuff, uh, X Men Origins. You know, I remember watching that and gave and up. And then there's the Wolverine and and all of that. Logan Logan was good. I saw that during a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Jeez. Yeah, 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 that was that was that was quite. Uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll I'll talk about it when we get to it. It it was it was quite an evening. That please do, yeah, yeah, guys, like put put Logan in the hopper, put Logan up for us to, to choose from. That'd be uh, a fun one to do, and then we can talk about Will's breakup. <laughs> it wasn't uh, too bad that breakup, <laughs> I have to say, but it was still oh no. But yeah, anyway. Um, let's get back meanwhile at Stryker's office sorry that almost sounded a bit like meanwhile at Stryker's office 
<laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Mystique disguises herself and breaks into Striker's computers to learn more about his plans. Uh, I want to pause here for a quick sec. Uh, we, we we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, if you if you rewatched it alongside us, you will notice so many familiar names on Striker's computer. Uh, Rob, did you see what was on the screen? Anything cool we should know about? Because I saw I saw Gambit's name. Okay. Remy, okay. Yeah, Remy LeBeau. Okay. God damn okay. it. Okay. Okay. God damn it. Okay. You get your names out, boy. Right. You Here we out. go then. Strap in. Pen and paper at the ready. Yes. <coughs> I'll do them all. I'll do them all. I'll... F it. I'll do them all, Will. I'll do them all. See what you've done now. You've... What, you're here third... for? That's the third thing to set them <laughs> off. Jeez. There's two screens. Right. Amara Aquila, Magma from the New Mutants, Alison Blair, these are all the names on the screen. Alison Blair, Dazzler, nearly had her own movie, didn't happen. Uh, Sally Blevins, Skids, she's got a force field, no one can touch her. Elizabeth Braddock, Psylocke, we see her later on yep. in the Apocalypse movie, which is a turd. Um, Maria, <laughs> this is, mate, it is, a t- <laughs> it is a turd, you can't it argue is, with that. Is. You I love can't it. argue with that. Maria Calastantos, Feral from Mutant Liberation Force and then later X Force. Um, Cassidy in brackets two, right? Well, that there are three Cass- mutant Cassidys in the X Men universe. Sean Cassidy, Banshee, who is part of the the the, the new set with Wolverine and yep. um, Storm and all those lot. His brother, Black Tom Cassidy, who is not African-American at all. He is just evil, so they call him Black, which isn't cool. Um, Or his daughter, sorry, Sean's daughter, Black Tom Cassidy's niece, Teresa Cassidy, Siren. Uh, Lila Cheney, who can teleport, and she's in a punk rock band, and she's a thief. Victor Creed, Sabretooth. Roberto da Costa, Sunspot, Lorna Dane, Polaris, Magneto's daughter, Fred Dukes, Blob from one of the original uh, Brothers of Evil Mutants, Angelo Espinosa, Skin. He's that dude we talked about in the bonus episode who's got loads of grey skin. He's from Generation <laughs> X. Um, Kyle Gibney, um, Wild Child. He's a bit like a really weird, little, annoying Generation X uh, Wolverine. Guthrie 2. So that means there are two Guthries with mutant powers. That would be Bobby Guthrie, Cannonball, and... Oh, what's her name? What well, Husk is her mutant name. Um, Paige. Paige Guthrie, Husk, who can rip her skin off. And when she rips her skin off, underneath her skin, she has like a different layer of skin, which is a different power. Like she'll rip her skin off and then she'll be like diamond form underneath. Or she'll rip her skin off and she'll be like steel underneath or something like that she's a weird character wow also from generation x uh can Ken, harada the silver samurai sometimes ally mainly effing wolverine up with his samurai sword garrison kane who becomes uh, called weapon x and goes to the future with cable even though weapon x is mainly a government department and a team but in this case <laughs> it's the name of a dude very uh late, very early 90s character remy lebu gambit eric leshner magneto artie maddox he's in this movie with a forked tongue the little boy with a forked tongue in the museum yep. and at the end he's in wolverine's arms with the forked tongue artie maddox 
He doesn't really have any powers. Well, he kind of does. He can't talk, but he can create um, like a mental projection of what he's thinking. So if he's thinking about uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that's what will appear in front of you. Jamie Maddox, the multiple man, he can <coughs> clap his hands and yeah, transform yeah. and create three or four different clones of himself. Shian uh, Koi Mahan, um, she is known as Karma in the New Mutants. Maximoff, two. You got that one, brother? I, Maximoff, two. I, I am overwhelmed. Pietro, Pietro and Wanda will deal with them when we get to Age of Ultron. Uh, ah, Kevin McTaggart, yes. um, who is... Kevin McTaggart is... is, is um, come on, son. It's in there somewhere. Kevin McTaggart, Proteus, um, Professor Xavier's uh, insane child... Uh, Danielle Moonstar, Moonstar, from the New Mutants. Araro Monroe is, is Storm. Storm yeah. Why she's there? That's the first screen. <sighs> Second screen, smaller list. <laughs> You've got files named Omega Red, who is a Russian um, Weapon X super soldier program, who has these um, tentacles that come out from his arms mm. that train life force. He's a major enemy of Wolverine and was part of a lot of shady CIA um, KGB goings-on. Muir Island is a folder there. Now, Muir Island is where Moira McTaggart lives. and She's a human, but an expert on genetics and mutations. One of Charles Xavier's closest confidants, allies and friends and the mother of his child, Kevin McTaggart, Proteus, who is a reality-warping monster. And also in that list, we've got Project Wide Awake. Project Wide Awake is a government program to place um, deadly mutant-hunting, mutant-killing sentinels in every state in America so that should mutants get out of control or the political climate shift they can press a doomsday button activate every sentinel and go around wiping out mutants and franklin richards is the last folder marked on that computer franklin richards is the child of the invisible woman and mr fantastic from the fantastic four oh he is their first child they are born of cos. I mean, they have cos. Their powers are not mutations. Yeah. They are mutations. Sorry, they're not mutants. They are born of cosmic rays. But their child is recognised as a mutant. And Franklin Richards is a mutant so powerful he created an entire reality, <laughs> like an entire other universe with an Earth and life forms on it, and shunted. The Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Captain America, Hulk, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, everyone over to there during Age of Ultron. Um, Age of Ultron? No. During the, the on- Onslaught debacle and the Heroes Reborn thing. He is a supremely powerful mutant. <sighs> and Never. the only thing about those... Yeah. I know, man. The only thing about those those screens is that the logo, the, the the shape of the prison that you see from above on when when Mystique's looking at the blueprints, yeah, and the logo of the superhuman prison, right, re- resemble the chest emblem on a lot of sentinels. Oh. So it's just kind of going in 
seems to be going in that direction. Like it's you see it above from like like the same way you when you see the Pentagon, you only know it's a Pentagon from above. Yeah. So on that video on that computer screen, they show the superhuman prison from above. And it's not exactly a pentagon, but it resembles the and the, the logo of the of the Superman prison is the same. It resembles this, the the the, the kind of almost Iron Man like chest emblem that the Sentinels had for a long period of time. <sighs> uh, I I would just like to say, viewers, uh, sorry, listeners at home, I too regret the pause function on video. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was impressive. Man, if, you know what? Yeah. If I didn't do it, what would going to be happen? We'd have nine hundred flipping emails about. Didn't you see this? Didn't you see that? Had to do it. Had to do it. If you didn't do it, we'd we'd have a podcast episode under three hours in length. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I can't allow gen- that. Gen- gen- genuinely, thank you for that because I, 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 when I saw the names go past, I was like, ah. Uh, I need to know who these people are because I know there's something I'm missing here. Well, there you go. There we go. Very. What, what I think is interesting, looking at looking mm. at that list, yeah. It, 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 there's a lot of the new mutants, which were a, a team created in the 1980s, because once the X Men had become, you know, kind of fighting superheroes, there was no school to teach kids anymore. There weren't any kids mm. in it. The X Men had graduated, mm. so they created a set, and, and suddenly the X Men were dead popular. So they created another spin-off title called the New Mutants, where Xavier had young kids to teach again. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of kids from Generation X. Generation X were like the 1990s version of the New Mutants. <laughs> Once the New Mutants had kind of grown up and graduated, they they created a brand new kind of new generation of, of mutants they were called generation x and so that seems to be the main the main drive here is that whether that means anything whether that means they were i don't know teeing up character ideas for future movies the the, the difficulty is and we don't want to talk about this person because yeah. he seems to be a horrific human being but the difficulty is we we don't know because the creative forces behind the movies seem to change well they didn't seem to change they completely changed um, once Superman Returns was being made, so we don't know what was what was being offered. But Daniel Moonstar, uh, you know, um, Magma, uh, even Feral, Sunspot, a lot of these kids, you know, uh, yeah, they're youngsters. So it, it did. It, I don't know. Seems like maybe they were teeing that up. Who knows? Maybe they were just there. Maybe some researcher was said, listen, we're going to have a good couple of seconds on this screen. Let's put some Easter eggs in there for the DVD. <laughs> Who knows? That, that that makes sense. That it was a surprisingly good amount of detail for a major Hollywood film, but that wasn't the MCU. Because if that was an MCU, a bit more detail would have been spent. Which reminds me, I'm not going to go on too much on the tangent, what annoyed me about Batman versus Superman was when they did the... The research uh, videos uh, for, for for them all. And I went. This is the most lazy kind of storytelling I have ever seen. If they were, if they were like new videos on a promotional website that you could just watch, that would be a, that would be brilliant. But no, mm-hmm. let's put them in the actual film. Oh. It's interesting. What annoyed me about that movie is when they had Batman murder people. That's what annoyed <laughs> me about the movie. Yeah, that that irked me. That irked me. Each of their own, I suppose. You know. Anyway, anyway, let's, let's continue. Let's continue back to the film. So, we've we've talked about all the names on Stryker's computer. 
Uh, Jean Grey and Storm find the fast-moving mutant assassin hiding in a church. He tells them his name is Kurt Wagner, a a former circus performer who was coerced into his attempt on the president. He has a scar on the back of his neck, similar to the one Magneto has uh, on his, from Striker's Chemical. I want to point out before we talk about more about Nightcrawler that uh, the way it was written down there, I, I had to stop myself going, Kurt Wagner, a former circus performer from the Munich Circus. <laughs> it, it almost. I love how up. they do that. Isn't Alan Cummings great in this movie? Oh, he's, he's, he's a joy to watch. He's an lo- absolutely lovely boy. I really haven't seen him he's in that brilliant. many things, though. It's just a shame. Uh, all I could, he, he strikes... The, the, the role that always... Uh, popped out for me was uh, was was in Goldeneye as uh, Boris Grishenkol. I'm invincible. Oh man, such a great that's character. That's not too far, kind of. That's not too far before all of this, is it? Really, 1995. 1995, So seven years. <clears throat> oh, oh, geez. Oh, yes. God. Okay. My my time. My timeline's uh, yeah spinning out of control. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's he's a he's a tremendous. He really is. He's a tremendous actor, and and um, I'll never forget uh, Bernard's genie. Yeah, Bernard and the genie. That. Sorry, I remember. I'll never that. forget that. Yeah, with with Lenny Henry, and I'll never forget the High Life. The High Life, I think, is one of the most wonderfully forgotten sitcoms, especially in Britain. Um, it's uh, yeah, a, a, a tremendous little uh, a tremendous little thing. He's in he's in the he's in the Spy Kids movies as well, which I, I have a have a bit of a bit of an affection for. Uh, um, I might watch those only Ferg only because it's Robert Rodriguez directing and I'm I kinda like him. Yeah. I kinda like him. Oh Rodriguez is lots of fun. Yeah. Um yeah, and he shows up, you know, in all the other stuff, doesn't he? But for me, the high life will always be they always be the pinnacle. And there you go. <laughs> so now we've gushed over Alan Cummings. <laughs> Sorry, that was the worst pun ever. Uh, <laughs> this seems no. Keep it. I, that's definitely what happened. I definitely def- did. definitely gushed over, Alan, a over, over a man named Alan Cummings. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Anyway, this seems the best time to talk about Nightcrawler. What can you tell us? What can you tell us, Rob? Well, uh, in- interestingly, he-, he wasn't originally created for Marvel Comics. Oh, um, okay, Dave. Dave Cockrum, who, when when they recreated, not recreated, when they decided that they were going to do away with the original X Men team, and we talked about this in the last X Men episode, they came up with this new team that was Len Len Wein and Dave Cockrum created a brand new set of of X Men characters mm. that was include Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Sunfire, and uh, Thunderbird and, and and Nightcrawler from different. Uh, countries across the world Dave Cockrum had originally designed and created Nightcrawler when he was working at DC Comics ah okay okay and he was created to be part of the Legion of Superheroes which is a a team set in the far flung future of DC Comics when um, superheroes from all different worlds come together Mm. and, and create kind of like a cosmic justice league but it was rejected by DC Comics. So he, but he, but he kept hold of the design. And then when he was at Marvel working on the X Men, he pitched this this demon looking character. And the editors said, "Yep, yeah, make him German, and we're good make to go because we want 
Yeah, we want a European for the team. And yep, yep. We've got uh, we've got Banshee from Ireland, and we could do with something from you know kind of the continental mm. Europe. Unlike other mutants, Nightcrawler is born with his mutation fully on display. Yeah. At the time when 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 these X Men were created, the vast majority of them didn't display their mutations until puberty. Mm. That has changed somewhat. In the, in the modern era of Marvel. But back at the time in the 70s and in the 80s as well, puberty was a big part of this coming-of-age idea and bodies changing and suddenly feeling different to how you were before. You know, highly typed in with this idea of sexuality, perhaps, and to some extent tied in with, with, with any ideas of feeling different and other. Um, so he's born looking like a little demon and he's abandoned by his parents, taken in by a, a gypsy circus and raised by the circus, Nightcrawler is. And in, in this circus, everyone is different looking. You know, your you bearded lady, your strong man, your mm. your guy who's like massively over obese and your, your great big tall person and, you know, elephant man and all that kind of stuff. So he wasn't out of place in the circus, but things get out of hand and... Xavier finds him when he's being, um, you know, it's a proper Frankenstein scene. He's yeah. being chased by villagers with flaming torches because he looks like a demon. And Xavier saves him by switching off all the humans' minds and then. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Him. Stopping time. Stopping time. <laughs> oh, boo! Boo! Stopping freezing time with his time manipulation powers, he definitely has. Rolled his wheelchair um, around the world so he, to make it spin backwards like <laughs> Superman. He's basically he's like Santa Claus. He just he can <laughs> travel the world in one night because he freezes time. <laughs> so Night Nightcrawler joins the X Men um, and is there for, a, for quite a long period of time. Forms a very strong bond with Wolverine. Mm. Nightcrawler and Wolverine are very close, very close comrades in the comic books, um, and and Kitty Pride as well. Who's have I mentioned the Kitty before? Kitty Pride is the the a youngster that joins the X Men in the eighties, known as Shadow Cat, and occasionally Sprite, and occasionally Ariel, but mainly Shadow Cat. And she's a, a youngster, and her and her and she's initially terrified of how. Nightcrawler looks, and then she goes, "Oh, he's just lovely and sweet, and he's very—he's a swashbuckler, and he's charming, and he's really kind and sweet and nice and lovely." Towards the end of the eighties, the X Men get into a series of very big, traumatic battles, and and Nightcrawler is stabbed to the brink of death Ooh. during what something that's called the Mutant Massacre, and he winds up in a coma. And when he wakes up from his coma, the the X-Men are dead. I mean, they're not, but the entire world, all the media, everything is telling the rest of the world that the X-Men have been killed in Australia. And, um, and so he has no team to go to. And the, he, he gets together with the only surviving members that he, the friends that he has, Rachel Summers and Kitty Pride, and they travel to X to to England and form a team with Captain Britain called Excalibur, mm. and they kind of hope to fill the hole left by by the deceased X Men. Uh, and then the X Men are revealed to have never been dead. It was a ruse, but Nightcrawler is 
and and Kitty and Rachel are pretty peeved that their best friends did not call them to let them know. So they don't rejoin the X-Men and they stay as Excalibur for the best part of 10 years. Um, And during this time it's revealed that... Is it during this time or after? Anyway, it's revealed that that, uh, Nightcrawler's mother is Mystique. Okay. And Mystique slept with a demon-looking creature (laughs) from another dimension called Azazel. Who is essentially like a red version of Nightcrawler. Right. And he carries a sword. He he looks like a full-on demon. And he does not live on Earth. He lives in another dimension. It's never really clear if Azazel is meant to be an actual demon or not. He makes these weird claims that he's from a race of mutants who all look like red demons... And they were locked in a battle hundreds and thousands of years ago with another race of mutants who all looked like angels. Mm. And after this battle, all the demon mutants are banished to another dimension, which looks essentially like hell, (laughs) but they work super hard not to say that it's hell. So that it's not that they're desperately trying to balance this idea that he is a demon. But not a demon, because it's not magic. It's the X-Men, so he's actually a mutant. It's super dumb. They should not have done it. It's really stupid. It should have just been left that Nightcrawler is a mutant who looks weird. And so people with prejudices assume he's a demon. That's his really strong character trait. The idea that you then come along 20 years, 15 years later and go, yeah, but actually, he a demon. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what you all wanted it to be? It was stupid. See, that makes so me that's, think... So that's Nightcrawler. That, that, that whole thing of, oh, they're scared because he looks like a demon. Oh, spoiler alert, he is a demon. Reminds me of an episode of 24 where the, uh, there's, there's a Muslim kid in the classroom, in the American classroom, and uh, he's getting picked on because they think, oh, no, he's definitely a terrorist. Oh, cousin. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. And then he goes, are you thinking, oh, they're going to deal, like the show's going to get some depth here and actually deal with prejudices yeah. and it's going to be going to teach us all yeah. a lesson. Nope, Muslim kid is a terrorist. Oh, nope. I was so angry at that because it was just so The bad. only Muslim character in this entire show is a terrorist. There you go, folks. Yeah, that sucked. That sucked, man. Yeah, good point. That, that was that was so pointless. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for telling us about Night Nightcrawler. I think I th- I keep is that a Judas Priest song, Nightcrawler? It is. It is a Judas Priest song. Anyway, we now go. I'm only saying that because I resemble the lead singer. We now go back to Magneto's prison. Cyclops and Professor Xavier go to visit Magneto, who explains that Stryker has been questioning him. And points out to his son Jason Stryker. So he points out that his son Jason Stryker was once a student at the school. To Professor Xavier's horror, Magneto confesses that he has told Stryker everything. At that moment, gas is pumped into the prison chamber, and right before both men pass out, Magneto hauntingly tells Xavier, "You should have killed me when you had the chance." Outside, psych. Oh. I know. I know. Outside, yeah. Cyclops fights the prison guards, but is defeated <clears throat> by Stryker's deadly Asian bodyguard. Um, again, fan curling over uh, Sir Ian McKellen. But that expression on his face, you know, he always has that look of pride 
over everybody. He always has that yeah. smarmy look. And then when he confesses, that slowly changed to genuine sorrow. And it's like, oh, oh, that's good acting. Well, we'll know from the last episode that I am not the biggest fan of McKellen in this role. Yeah. And this is not anything against Ian McKellen, who I think is fantastic. I really, really do. Um, but it's just that it's just the age and it, and it's some mm. of the way he delivers the line. It just doesn't feel very like it's, it's not how Magneto, it, it, it really mainly is entirely the age. He's just far, far too old to play this physically powerful character. And, and I struggle with it in ev- the way he moves, the way he walks yeah. around. It just is difficult. But that, and there, there are several scenes that are an absolute treat with him in, and that one is really one of it. And I struggle to think of another actor that could have done what I wanted to. What you know, mm. uh, the, the, could have had. You know, Fassbender could not have performed like that at all. You know, it, that is a really glorious, glorious moment. It really is. Yeah. It's a great, great scene. Great scene. Again, we are not a movie review podcast. Uh, <laughs> I keep reminding people. No, it, it, no, it, we're it not. Is, You're it, right. I, I know. I, I like putting that in as a little punchline. It, the thing and a callback. But the thing is, it's just. I, yeah, it is a great scene. It, it, it's it's the old god scene. But, and also, this is the most we see of Cyclops in this movie. Like, movie fans generally huh. think of him as being boring. Me, me especially. I, I always consider him to be good in two-shoes. I always thought Summer's boring guy. But what can you tell us about him in the comic books? Is he boring? We've talked about him being a leader, but is he that boring? He, he's, there's, there's no getting around how boring he is in the movies. <laughs> he is dull. He is dull, right? This is the Superman opinion, mm. right? It, it, Cyclops gets the Superman treatment from non-comic fans. Ah, uh, he's just so boring. Why? We can, he's just... He, what, is he, good? he doesn't murder people. He doesn't have claws and stab people in the face. He's boring. <laughs> he doesn't, like... You know, the whole idea, oh, Superman's born, Batman's dead, good, because he jumps around in the darkness and throws sharp things at people. Cyclops is always outshined by Wolverine, right, in popularity. It's worth pointing out here that Wolverine is a child's idea of a character. <laughs> Uh, he can't be uh, killed. He's got claws, and you can't break him off, and you can't uh, ever chop his hands off or his arms off because his skeleton's unbreakable. You can't ever chop his head off or his arms or his legs. And even <laughs> if you stab him, he will heal so quickly that you can't even even stab him or shoot him. And he doesn't ever age ever. And he drinks and he smokes and he swears. Like that's not <laughs> that's not an interesting character. I'm, I'm sorry. That is that is that is like an ADHD character. <laughs> it, 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 it's a, it's a it's a seven year old maniacal sugar rush child's mm. uh, concept of, of of a cool character. Yeah. It's, it's, personally, I find it, and a lot of people find it a lot more interesting. 
to have characters that have a lot more all these failings, which Scott Summers Cyclops has, you know, he 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 was raised to be this soldier for a race war since the age of like twelve, and Oof. and told from an early age that he's going to be this leader. He's going to lead these people mm. that have nothing else in common other than genetics. They have no shared culture. They have no shared history. They have no shared community. Or they, they, they are a, dis, a, dis, a disparate kind of people that only share blood and genetics. That's not a community. You are going to lead them. You are going to take my place and lead them. And he has these huge, vast insecurities about himself outside of leading a team. He can do that. He can lead people, and he can fight, and he can be a soldier. But beyond that, he really struggles. A lot of writers have done brilliant, brilliant things with him. Claremont did a lot of really interesting things with him. He had this rocky relationship, this marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife, you know, his girlfriend died. And he had a wife. He had a son, and and then he had an affair, and it was all very, very uh, soap opera esque. Mm. Um, it, it, right at this time, as this movie's coming out, Grant Morrison is doing his X Men run when the first movie comes out, and he puts a lot of focus on Scott as yeah. this damaged but driven man struggling to hold his people together with his with his bare hands, because at the start of Grant Morrison's run on X Men, he exterminate. He has a, a he has. Hundreds of thousands of X Men uh, of mutants killed, and reveals that there there's an extinction X aspect of their gene. They're going the way of the dinosaur. They're not going to last. Humanity is going to is going to is going to keep going. Mutants are going to die out, and Cyclops is burdened with this. And other writers, subsequent writers, Joss Whedon is a big fan of Cyclops. Mike Carey, Kieran mm. Gillen, they've portrayed him as being the true successor to Xavier, really stepping into that role, doing away with, with the professor, becoming uh, the leader of a, of, a, of a whole race and a whole community. He's the one that makes very hard, tough decisions, self-sacrifice and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and he's been shown to to outplay Captain America in, in battle, you know, with these tactics and these, these decisions and take down the Avengers and, and things like that. He is... He, I don't think it's. I don't think you can ever say there's a there's a boring character. Really, I I would be much more. I'm much more interested in someone. If someone says to me, Deadpool is a is a is like a stupid dull not not dull but he's a he's a maniac. He's he's a, again he's he's a schizophrenic character. He's like a not a he's not like a planned out character. Yeah. And the same with something like Wolverine is is bananas. And they've done they've done to great lengths to layer in wonderful attributes and character traits to Wolverine to make him compelling. But the idea that he's completely... It's like Superman should not have been the first superhero ever created. Mm. It's stupid that he was the first one. (laughs) The first one you create can maybe fly. And the next one is strong. And the one after that has laser eyes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like they didn't know what they were doing, so the first thing they did, these two teenagers from Canada went. He's super strong and he can fly, and he's and he got laser eyes and he can't be killed, and he's super fast. He's amazing. You know, it's just insane, and that feels like it's very hard to think of how anyone can compare to Wolverine in with those parameters. I don't think Cyclops is boring. 
he's one of he, he's probably one of my favorite he's probably my favorite X Men in in the way that he's portrayed. Mm. But it, it all depends on the writer. It really does. Yeah, that makes sense. I je, and I've seen James Mard, Marsden be good in other roles. Surprisingly, not not an yeah. amazing actor. He's a pretty yeah. he's a pretty boy guy, but he, he's he's not as boring as this. He's he's actually been pretty good in other roles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He he's he's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Anyway, uh, he's in Superman Returns as well. Oh yeah, he oh, what? Oh God, who is he in Superman Returns? He's again. He's Lois Lane's husband in Superman Returns. That was it. Uh, yeah, because there's, yeah. there's there's they don't know who the kid is. Who's who's is the kid? Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what 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 a great toss up that was. Both both potential fathers. Very hot. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back back at the school. It's night time. A team of armed operatives stage a raid on Xavier's school. Wolverine is the only adult on campus. He and many of the students use their abilities to defend themselves. Most of the children are saved by a big mutant with metal skin who leads them through a secret escape route, but six of the children are captured and taken away. But before we continue, obviously, that big metal guy... Is that Colossus from Deadpool? Is that the same guy, but as a teenager... Yeah, they don't name him in this, do they? Yeah. They, don't give, they don't like this is it. One and one and done. Brief little look at him, and then he's done. They don't give him a name. I went crazy in the cinema when I saw him. Yeah, because yes, this is this is Colossus. Um, there's no other. There's no other X Men with those powers, and it felt a little bit like. Remember in um, Iron Man when Rhodey mm. looks at the silver prototype <laughs> Iron Man armour yeah. and says, next time, next, next time. time. Yeah, that's, a next not, that's literally turning to say to the audience, we're going to do War Machine in the next one. Yeah, This felt a little bit like that. Like they were saying... I, I mean, I, 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 in my mind, I always assumed Wolverine said, you can help next time, this time. Just to, He doesn't say that. He just says, you know, go and help the kids. Um, yeah. It's odd. He's a teenager, um, and that he seems to be an American child, because Colossus is Russian, and he joins the X Men the same time that Wolverine did. Um, yeah, but he's definitely Colossus, and and it just seems to be a lot of money because that transformation sequence back then cannot have been cheap. No, oh, no. So it seems it seems odd to have done it. For a throwaway cameo, really. Yeah. Also, the screaming girl that wakes the whole house up. That will be who we saw earlier on the screen, Teresa uh, Cassidy, Siren. Ah, okay. Who has a, yeah. a supersonic scream, and she is Banshee's daughter, who is at odds with him quite a lot of the time. I, she's never that young in the comic book. She's always a teenager, but mm. there you go. She's a little kid here. That was a good scream, though. That was a very good scream. <laughs> just, just Wakes the house up, yeah. Yeah, everybody's going, ah! So back to, the, back to the attack. Wolverine is left to fight the Strike team alone and completely outnumbered. Striker arrives in person and reveals that he knows Wolverine from the past. Sorry. Sorry. Striker arrives in person and reveals that he knows Wolverine from the past. He can't remember and hints that they worked together. Before Logan can get any answers... Bobby creates a wall of thick ice between them and the soldiers, aiding their escape. 
Stryker and his men break Cerebro down and strip it for parts. Wolverine, Rogue, Iceman and Pyro escape in Cyclops' car and head to Boston to rendezvous with Storm and Jean. Bobby reveals that his family live in Boston, which seems like a good place to hide. I think I deserve an award if, for not... If, for not- I'm sorry. If Ice... If Iceman lives in Boston, why does he not have a, a thick Boston accent? That's what I was just about to say. Maybe why? he lives. Maybe. Oh, what's, what's, sorry, maybe, bro. maybe maybe he lives in more of the posher parts. I was going to try and do some knowledge of Boston because I've been uh, watch, I watched all of Cheers and I've been playing a lot of Fallout Four, which take place in Boston. But I think I deserve an award for at no point going Boston. <laughs> what I was saying. <laughs> I uh, the I was urge so close to doing it here. The urge yeah. to say Boston. Because I've been watching bloody episode hey, family as well, Bill Burr's show. Sidebar: uh, Should we do a spin-off Cheers podcast? Because it's one of my favourite things. Should we do that? Shall we? Shall we do a Cheers podcast? You you came up with another idea for another podcast, and I, and I said that was good as well. Oh yeah, you have a lot of good ideas. That. Yeah, yeah. Keep ch- stay tuned, people. There's another Patreon. Yeah. We're going to build a podcast. <laughs> Pay us another three quid yeah, to do another the- podcast. <laughs> We're going to do a podcast empire, brother. Yeah, single-handedly. I like this. You're witnessing history, guys. Anyway, I uh, I think the raids... Uh, I'm going to agree with you uh, on retrospect. In terms of what they did with Colossus, it did feel like the raid scene was a great excuse to bring up other mutants without the clunky introductions. It was just basically... Go- it, it was yeah. basically the screen in human form. They went... Hey, instead of throwing loads of names at you, <laughs> let's show you a few, but not give any introductions. Well, but they only, but yeah, they only did like uh, the, the the kid blinking to change the TV channel isn't anyone. He's <laughs> isn't just, anyone. Kind of just a gag, you know. Yeah, he's not. I mean, I'm I'm saying he's not like um, it's not like that was all oh, that secretly t- telethon the child who controls television. No, it was just that's a sight gag. Mm. So the only, I mean, I don't even know if you can consider the child screaming as an as an introduction to Siren because I mean, aside from anything else, she doesn't appear in any of the other movies. Yeah. And Colossus doesn't until I think he's in Days of Future something or other. Who gives a crap before you get to Deadpool? But uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it it. It fizzes with excitement, though, and as you start to realise, this world is bigger. We could have more exciting things. Yeah. And then the franchise <laughs> keeps plodding in a certain direction. Yeah. It's it's what can it, you do? It, it it is basically that. It is basically hey, let's do some open worlds. Let's let's open up the world a bit more, but not really going. Yeah. In. If it was a video game, yeah, way different. We'd be right in there, but no. That's why I think X-Men sometimes works Side well missions. as a video game. Better, better as a video game than a film, because there's so many people involved. Huh. Anyway, I was also pointing, I also liked, there was a nice little touch when they put the ice wall up, and they both put their hands against it like a lost parent. <laughs> and it's like, it's, although, although in context, in context, it's a bit off, considering the relationship between the two. It did You're have that so nice, right though. It, it felt like right to do at the moment. Yeah. Whatever occurs, I will find you. <laughs> it's that proper last of the Mohicans kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come back for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a romantic moment between between Wolverine and Stryker. 
Yeah, it just it just it just felt it, it felt it was a good little bit, but in context feels off. So, in the in the in the comic books, have the government ever attacked the X Men school? The mansion is always being destroyed, like all it's so much so many times it's become a running joke. It, mm. it like the, the X Men characters will reference. Like, oh, it's been destroyed again. Or I'm amazed it hasn't been destroyed whilst we've been to the shops. You know, it's yeah. a running gag that, that, that they get attacked at home and it gets blown up and all that. Yeah, yeah. But that's usually um, superheroes. <clears throat> this movie, uh, whilst it does take um, its predominant inspiration from that graphic novel, God Loves and, and Man Kills, it does seem to take uh, inspiration from a 1998 crossover event called Zero Tolerance. Right. Um, an, an anti-mutant presidential candidate called Grayson Creed, who is the child of Mystique and Sabretooth. Oh, wow. Who's gone on to become a, a very prominent political figure and, and, and you know, anti-mutant. He gets assassinated in front of the world's media. That leads the government to give powers to an anti-mutant zealot called Bastion. Who uh, builds brand new sentinels and has soldiers storm the Xavier's school and mansion and, and take control of the mansion and drives the X Men out in, into hiding. Which and he takes control of Cerebro as well. So that very very that is very similar to what happens here. This movie feels like it is a combination of God Loves Man Kills and Zero Tolerance, uh, which was like a yeah nineteen ninety eight event. That makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 you felt like with the movies they get they would have to do it right away in the movies because it fits into that kind yeah. of Hollywood film structure. Like, hey, how how come this place hasn't been attacked yet? We have to do it. It would look awesome on the big screen. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now we catch up with Mystique. One of Magneto's abusive guards is getting drunk in a bar when a beautiful woman seduces and drugs him. The woman is Mystique in disguise, and she injects the passed-out guard with a silver liquid. Professor X wakes up in captivity with a metal brace on his head. Stryker explains that the brace inhibits Xavier's psychic powers. The professor tries to reason with Stryker, but they argue about Stryker's son, a mutant with illusion powers so dangerous, Stryker's wife went mad and killed herself. During their argument, Stryker's bodyguard begins to look dazed and confused. Stryker gives her a dose of a strange chemical to the back of her neck and she quickly falls back under his control. Xavier realises that the assassination attempt was orchestrated by Stryker to manipulate the president into giving in to his demands. Stryker admits his chemical would not be strong enough to work on Xavier, so he wills in his comatose mutant son, Jason, to influence Professor Xavier's mind. Okay, just a few (coughs) things to point out here. Uh, On the TV in the bar... Is Doctor Hank McCoy? I know. I know. In human form, doesn't look anything like Kelsey Grammer, as I'd hoped. Yeah, I know. But he doesn't. He never appears as Kelsey Grammer in the series, does he? He's he does. Kelsey Grammer plays him. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. You yeah, got but me not there. in human form. Not in human. In form, human form, yeah. he's that young, handsome lad. <laughs> young, handsome whatever lad. his name is. Yeah, lad, lad McLaddington. I thought that was good. Also. I, uh, I found it really cool that Myst- when Mystique was in disguise, if you look at the dress, it's her skin. 
I, in any yeah. other in any other yeah. situation, that sentence would sound awful. The dress is actually her skin, <laughs> like like very Silence of the Lambs. But I, I I didn't notice that before. Only noticed it the first time, and I went, "Oh, that's a nice little touch there." Yeah. Also, yeah, she yeah. she is able when she transforms it, zip zippers buckles, um, anything like that. It's all it's all her actual cells, her skin cells, or her body cells, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and she's she's been able to to do it with a little bit of tech here and there as well over the years. Oh, we're going to have to cover that at some point because I'm very interested if she if she gets tech involved. You know what I'm like. Uh, this, <laughs> also, um, this is alarming. Well, I, I didn't notice it this time round. Um, who finishes their beer in a toilet before having rough sex? <laughs> Well, do you remember when you? <laughs> do you remember? So, uh, for a uh, uh, comparison story, I used to work in cinemas. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I say cinemas. It was it was just the one. And uh, <laughs> one time, I was assistant managing, and my staff told me that there's a couple who had disappeared into the ladies' toilets, and they weren't coming back, and yeah. they were clearly doing it in the toilets in the cubicles. And it was my job then, as the advanced age of like being twenty three and in charge of the entire building, <laughs> had to go in and tell, you know, the the seventeen eighteen year olds to pack it in, because um, that's what happens in 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 a lot of retail. You have children in charge of children. <laughs> I went in and uh, panned on the door and said, "All right then, that you you got to stop that. Come out now." And the lad said, oh, put my shoes back on. Who's taking the shoes off <laughs> for a quickie? What's going on? <laughs> Who's going into a toilet cubicle and going, oh, better get me shoes off for this quickie? You say uh, that. You say so yes. that. I, I don't think I could imagine doing it with my shoes on. Traction. <laughs> Traction, Will. Traction. Ah, very, very, You've got to very... have grip. You're slipping and sliding around on them floor yeah. with your socks on. You'll be a fool. You'll chip a tooth. Um, yes, it reminded me <laughs> of when you're young. You know those people that can't. When you're younger, they can't drink much, and yeah. they take their pints into the toilets. Yeah, and then they come back out, and their pint is significantly smaller than it was. You know, they're, they're tipping it down the sink oh, or the bog or whatever. Sacrilege. I figured that's what he was. He's. I figured he was trying to get rid of his beer, but then he necked it all. He next got all. drugged. I know, with a very obvious pill at the bottom of the glass. But, yeah. in his defence, I would have fallen for exactly... that. There's no way I would have been able to say no, turn her down. <laughs> I would have fallen straight away, exactly for the same. I'm not I'm not smart enough, clever enough, or strong enough to, uh, to be like, this seems odd. <laughs> that's no, no, no. Nope. That's fair enough. I mean, it is mystique. Mystique is, is, a, is another level of woman. Rebecca Ramahanjin, Raman, Rimin, Rimajin, Ramahanjin. I think, I think it has to be Raman, not Rimajin. Rimajin sounds like something you take when you have a bad back. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh. Get the ri- Do, have you got any Rimajin? Oh, I've got that thirty-seven-year-old tried to try to go on the bike last night. Pain. I need that Rimajin. <laughs> Also, uh, this is me getting technical again. I was under the impression that liquid metal, and it gets mentioned later in the film, 
has to be kept maintained at a very high temperature. Yet he injects it in him without him like I n- neither melting or setting on fire. I was like, liquid metal it needs to be maintained at a very you know. Alloys, 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 ah ha ha ha, alloys, alloys. Did you just outscience me on my very pedantic science thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Of course it is. Yeah. That's that's fair. Saves time. But saves time. My, my, yeah. Have you anything else to say? No, that was all I had. I had one <laughs> all, all in my first punch. That's all the fight I had in me. Okay. Me. Okay, that's that point uh, crossed off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was really determined to go, no, this is wrong, but no, that makes sense because I also know nope. what alloys are. I've heard of that word before. But I'm also not convinced. Uh, we'll get, you've got, I'm, I'm sure you've got more, more to say about this. Nah, that's all I had to say about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't, the, 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 it's not, They've not injected him with... Oh, it doesn't matter. Carry on. Let's carry on moving. We'll I, get to I, it when we get to it. Cause we've got I it. know what you're saying, though. Um, but I okay, think the most yeah. important thing is uh, the mind control drug. That is incredibly useful. Does that pop up in the comics? No. <laughs> like, it's not... It's, it's so... It's so... It's too convenient. It's yeah. so I find yeah. it very annoying in this film and very yeah. distracting. It's not. I don't. I, um, perhaps I'm just too much of a comic book fan. Like if this had been ah, and we harvested this from a thing, and it was in the comic book, and I'd be able to go, oh yeah, yeah, that thing does that. Then I would have accepted it and been like, oh, they're in trouble. But they don't talk about it. They don't like. They don't like explain it. They say at one point they say it's taken from the spine of the guy we'll see a bit later on, who we haven't introduced ourselves to yet. Mm. But they don't. They don't. They don't. There's no. There's no like line of dialogue to kind of give us anything on this, and it bugs me because it's inconsistent. Because if you've got it on Magneto, why mm. aren't you using Magneto to do all your bidding? Yeah. And, like, what is it, and how does it work, and why is it on the neck? And tell tell me, tell me something about it. And no, it's not, it's not a thing from the comic books at all. And there's plenty of that's the thing that bugged me. I guess there's plenty of mutants in the X Men kind of uh, pantheon. That can do mind control or some variation of it that they don't that they could have just used instead of it being a drip drip drip. You could have had another character and you could have said, "Ah, this is Mesmero that are, are yeah. you know who can hypnotize people," or "This is whoever the uh, Lady Mastermind," or, or "There's someone that controls pheromones that can make you do things." You can, there's there's tons of different people they could have, you know, the Purple Man from um, oh. Daredevil. There's all these kind of Kilgrave. Yeah. It's all these kind of like characters they could have popped in instead of uh, I don't know, uh, and I also don't like what I don't like in any of these things is like a uniform thing that they invent and works on everyone. The mm-hmm. biggest one for me is um, power dampeners. 
they crop up in the Marvel Universe and in DC, and I hate them. What have you got there? It's a power dampener. When you turn it on, it just cancels out any power. Oh, that seems lazy. <laughs> Why doesn't everyone have them? Why is being a superhero at all important anymore? If power dampeners exist, it's dumb, it's weird. The mind control collars, what's that? You slap it on someone and they immediately have to do whatever you say. This seems lazy. And this seems like a lazy thing of that. I don't know. I just didn't like it. Didn't get it. Yeah, it did come off as incredibly lazy. Yeah, I I understand, you know... you've got a lot you need to do it doesn't need to be done there for the bodyguard who will get to I understand you perhaps need it for Magneto to get the secrets about the mansion and you you, kind of need a a way of getting at Professor X I think those two could have been accomplished by an existing Marvel mutant like Mesmero or someone like that that you could have had there and said this is his henchman and he's a powerful hypnotic dude and there you go you could have been out of this problem no problem oh exactly the team arrive at Bobby's parents house Bobby and Rogue share a tender moment in his childhood bedroom they kiss and Rogue absorbs some of Bobby's strength and his ice powers Bobby's family is surprised to learn that he's a mutant Leading some of, leading to his disgruntled brother calling the police. When the cops arrive, they order Logan to drop his blades. When he retracts them, he is shot in the head. The bullet stopped by his adamantium. The bullet stopped by his adamantium skull. Pyro fights the police off with blasts of fire and seems intent on killing several officers. Rogue stops the chaos by grabbing Pyro's ankle and then extinguishing the flames with a blast of freezing air she absorbed from Bobby. What I loved about this scene, um, and it got mentioned, it got mentioned in the in letters earlier, was uh, it, how it mirrored ignorant attitudes towards uh, L, L, LGBT culture. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Like, have you tried not being I, a mutant? I, 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 that was that was the line that went. I was like, oh, hello. It, it it felt to me. Yeah, I don't know. It felt like a sitcom gag to me it didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like a particularly important it didn't feel like a, a, a an overly sensitive or I don't know I don't know the idea that Ian McKellen advised on it you know it, it kind of raised my expectations when I rewatched it and I thought oh no that's just that just feels like a sitcom gag like you do have you know you, you kind of write any secret and you'd write it like being gay, I don't know. It was, it was, it, there was nothing wrong with it, and it was kind of fun. It just wasn't. It didn't feel. I don't know, like a like a like a good X Men waving the flag for LGBT. It was like a throwaway, a throwaway. Li- I kind of liked it though. Yeah. I know it's a throwaway line. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, they they kind of like it. Also, uh, Ven- you know what? what? The, 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 the thing is, if I'd gone in without without having had that. That that letter about yeah. it, I would have gone in and go, oh yeah, it's a fun thing. But I went in having read the letter and went, oh my word, Ian McKellen consulted on it and advised on it, and it's oh gosh, I guess it's a powerful moment to do with gay rights. And I watched it and I went, oh fucking isn't <laughs> like so. I if I if I just kind of watched it naturally, mm. I wouldn't have had that thing in my head. I would have just been like, oh yeah, that's kind of fun. Your expectations were a bit high on that in some regards. Basically, that's fine. 
yeah. also very surprised the police went for a headshot. Are you okay? Is that because Wolverine's not black? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because he's Canadian. No, uh, I, I, th- I, I just thought they obviously. It, it's, it just, it just came off as like it's a confusing situation. Obviously, there's mutants, but it's like you at least go for a limb. You go for the leg, even if if you're gonna shoot someone like that. But no, no, mate, that's not. That, honestly, that's not how. That is absolutely not how any. No, no, that's not how anyone with a gun is trained to do anything. There's no shooting anyone in the leg or the arm. That's not part of training whatsoever. If you if you have to press the trigger, you put the person down. That's yeah. because you, you. If you press the trigger, you are at fear for your life or the lives of the people around them. So you put them down. The end. There's no, there's no, there's a lot of this from people who don't from like, and I'm one of them. People who don't really understand guns or have guns. There's a lot of this. Well, can't you just shoot them in the leg? <laughs> no, <laughs> because they are dangerous and have a weapon. You put them down and. Yeah, yeah I've, I've had this comp- thing. Is I, I've got some airsoft weapons behind me, and I'm usually you know fairly au fait with this sort of thing. But I've always thought like, no, you can get them in the leg. Get him in the leg. It's fine. Talk about later, but no, no, you're right, you're right. If if they're great marksmen, sure, but I don't think great marksmen kind of like ride the patrol cars. Ah, yeah, yeah. F- fair point. <laughs> so we've uh, we're at his parents' house. This is the right time we learn about Iceman. Is he Rogue's boyfriend? What's his deal in the comics? Because we talked about him before when he looked like a snowman. A snowman, yeah. yeah. He, he he's always been the young the youngest of the original X Men. Yep. Um, the the Joker and the prankster. Yeah. Had a very close friendship with Beast. They were always goofing around in the early days. And like you said, you know, a snowman to begin yeah. with before they sharpened up how he how his powers worked and how he looked as a character. He's kind of done way more than the other originals. Mm. When the X Men. Ended in, in in the at the end of the sixties, he went on to be part of the champions that we discussed in the X Men episode, yeah. which is that team that consists of Iceman, Angel, Black Widow, Hercules, and Ghost Rider. Hercules, <laughs> and it's just an absolutely thrown together nonsense yeah. of a team. Yeah. He was also in the, the Defenders. He was an Avenger for one issue. And his character was used in the the cartoon series Spider Man and his amazing friends in the in the seventies uh, eighties. Mm. So he he had a lot more recognition than Cyclops or Beast or or Angel or any of them really because that that cartoon series was really big. And the main thing that people in, in pop culture remember about him is traveling around by ice slides. Yes. He creates that great big slide and slides along on his ice slides. He was always deemed to be a mutant of untapped potential. <laughs> okay. Like he could do a lot more than just freeze someone and make an ice slide. Yeah. And they started to show this from the 90s on through. The Emma Frost, the White Queen, who's a, a, a powerful psychic, she possessed his body once and showed everyone how dangerous he could be mm. he could um change sh- he could change his size his shape he could you know the the ice could become all sorts of demonic powerful dangerous kind of weapons um there are evil versions of him from a parallel world 
and a dystopian future that have been vastly more powerful than Bobby is um, creating ice giants controlling oh, entire wow. armies of of ice duplicates. Yeah. So Iceman takes the field and has an army of you know thirty thousand versions of himself, which he can mentally control all at the same time. That's incredible. So when yeah, when when all these started, when he started to see them, and the other characters saw them, it was all like, "Bobby, what are you doing? Is I'm I'm freezing someone and building a wall <laughs> with ice." Um, one time he was badly injured and went into a coma, and his powers went out of control. His mind splintered, and he began to freeze the entire Earth, the entire world, Ooh. uncontrollably. And during this freezing, this mass freezing, his consciousness was spread out through every single particle of snow and ice that he'd spread, giving him this godlike consciousness and 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 and, and perception all around the world. Um, yeah, untapped, big untapped potential, and he started to harness. This, this is all very quite modern stories from the 90s onwards. He started to harness a bit of it and do a bit more of it here and there with ice giants and ice duplicates and things like that. He's never had... I mean, he's had relationships with several characters. Kitty Pride, uh, Polaris, Laura Dane. Never Rogue. Mm. Although, interestingly, given this scene, he has recently... The character has recently come out as being gay. Okay. Which retroactively makes this scene a bit more interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, that doesn't have these happen in the film universe. I don't, have there been any gay characters in the X-Men film universe? Mm, no, I can't think of any. Mm, no. That's, that's quite interesting when you think about it. Like, it's a, it's a film series sort of with that kind of subtext and yet no gay characters. Very few black characters, maybe. Well, well. yeah. That's another. That's another. Yeah. Reminds me of another article I read about the concept of the Superman and, and why some people think like MCU is very white supremacist in a very subversive way. Yeah. 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 But that's that's a, that's a one for another time. So, not not to put down the serious issue, but of course we've got to carry on with the story. So the Blackbird arrives. Storm, Jean, and Nightcrawler pick the rest of the gang up in the jet and they head for the school. Chased by F-16 fighter planes, Storm creates giant tornadoes to throw them off. One of the fighters shoots missiles at the jet. Jean is able to disable one, but the other explodes very close to the jet. They take damage and Rogue is sucked out of the plane. Nightcrawler teleports out of the Blackbird and into the sky. He free falls down to Rogue, grabs her, and then teleports them both back into the jet. Heavily damaged, the plane is about to crash when it stops safely just feet from the ground, suspended in the air by Magneto. So it's an amazing save by Nightcrawler here. Um, also, before I get, get, get into this, more of this, uh, the tenacity of that second fighter pilot who's fighting through bloody hurricanes. <laughs> like, I'm definitely getting this one. <laughs> I'm not going to go home. Yeah. Like that. That was that was that was a that was a ten out of ten performance, but um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Saved by Nightcrawler. What can we? What can he and can't he do with this teleporting power? Because he does he does touch on what he can't do. What does this apply to the comics as well? In the same way. Um. Yeah. In the comic books, he he teleports by 
traveling through an interdimensional realm, <laughs> like, like a different, almost like a different dimension, and that seems to be the dimension and realm that his dad Azazel lives yeah, in. Yeah, but go. we we don't see that for a long, 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 long time. The coloured smoke that you see when he teleports, yeah, that's the atmosphere of that other realm being brought with him. Ah, it dissipates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It smells of brimstone. <laughs> of course. Which it is does. why it, 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 a lot of people think, oh, it, oh, like a demon, like hell. Yeah. And when he teleports, he makes that, that bamf sound. Originally, he could only teleport uh, around two miles comfortably. Mm. He, he He's able to go, like, if he needs to go ten miles, he can go two miles, two miles, two miles, two, like, travel like that. Hop every two miles, if, if yeah. it were. Um, but doing a lot of repeated jumps, you know, is, is taxing on him. He can take other people with him, but that's diff- that, that exhausts him. Mm. Um, after he died and was resurrected, he his powers were kind of enhanced, and and he could teleport much greater distance, hundreds and hundreds of miles Ooh. from that point on. Wow. I always, yeah. I always think about like how that works in relation to the way the Earth's travelling through space and how it turns around and everything. But again, that's me getting too sciencey. Well, there, there is, uh, um, there's, there's, a, there's a Canadian Alpha Flight character, uh, Vindicator, hmm. who moves at super speed but only in one direction because what he actually does is uncouple himself from the Earth's spin. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I can totally so, imagine how that works. Yeah, so he uncouples himself, and the Earth spins as fast as it does in one direction, and then he couples himself, and he has travelled a great distance very quickly. But he, yeah, he hasn't moved within our atmosphere, as it were. Yeah, yeah that's vindicator. Because people forget how fast the Earth spins; it's incredibly fast. Yeah. but you don't know about it because you're, you're you know, perspective and whatnot. So, anyway, back to the film. The team has been saved by Magneto. Magneto explains that Stryker invaded the school just to get hold of Cerebro. With both Xavier and Cerebro under his control, Stryker can force the Professor to focus his mental powers on every mutant in the world and wipe them all out. Magneto reveals that he's not surprised Stryker has a pass of Wolverine as he's the only human capable of manipulating adamantium. The group realised that the only way to save all mutants is for the X-Men to work together with Magneto and Mystique. Thanks to her time in government, Mystique has plans and blueprints for Stryker's base, but they still don't know where that base is hidden. Jean uses her telepathy to read Nightcrawler's suppressed memories and discovers that Stryker's base is at Alkali Lake, where Wolverine has been, had been searching for, for parts of his past. Wolverine couldn't find any answers because the base is hidden underground. So, yeah, we we discussed we discussed Nightcrawler about him being tra- possibly trapped inside a wall when he when he mentions this. I know we've we've talked about his power and that stuff, but has that ever actually happened? Has he ever been trapped inside a wall? Oh, well, he 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 possesses something called um, it's like an an extrasensory. Spatial awareness, and it's yeah. kind of like um, an instinct, okay. and that prevents him from teleporting into a wall, but it's limited to places he's familiar with. Right. So he can teleport from. If you close your eyes now and think about mm. the bathroom, 
yeah. he could teleport into the bathroom because he's familiar with it. So yeah. he's got this kind of this this kind of unconscious sense of of things. So if he can picture when he's going, he's okay. If he's never been there before, then he needs to be able to see it or see the outside of it. For a, for a while, it was called line of sight teleportation. And that's kind of... Um, they got dropped that after a while. He can receive uh, directions telepathically to help him with this. Like, uh, psychics on the X-Men team can like project an image in his mind of, this is where you're going to go. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. And then he can teleport there. Okay, that makes when sense. When he died... Yeah. yeah, when he died, he died in battle with that character we talked about, Bastion. Mm. And he died trying to protect a baby girl called Hope. Bastion was revealed to be a super advanced living sentinel and was able to um, use his computer mind to predict where Nightcrawler was about to teleport to, stick his hand out and stick his hand right through where Nightcrawler was teleporting. So when Nightcrawler materialised, he had Bastion's hand inside him. And that that killed him. Um, But even as he was dying from that, Nightcrawler grabbed the little baby and with his dying breath when, when he was limited to like two miles was how, how he could teleport with his dying breath he teleported from Vegas to San Francisco where the X-Men safe house was and when he reappeared there the baby was safe but but he was dead oh that's very, very that's, sad wow yeah. that's a very gallant ending but he got better because he's he an X-Man bet- yeah they, get they always better. get better so Magneto and the X-Men working together, has that ever happened in the comic books? Cause... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, in in the 80s, he came very close to killing the very young X-Man, Kitty Pride. Yeah. And that horrified Magneto because he, he saw himself become someone that he nearly mu- murdered a, a Jewish child and he, mm. he, he suddenly felt like the Nazis who had murdered his, his people and put him in that concentration camp and that kind of begins the reformation of Magneto in the 80s um, he finds out something about his children that he has which is something we'll cover in a movie very shortly but not this one and uh, he starts to team up with the X-Men against threats to all all mutant kind. And he begins to soften his approach to things. When, when Professor X is gravely injured and, and leaves Earth to go and be saved by alien scientists in the Shi'ar Empire in space, he asks Magneto to become headmaster of the Xavier School and, and to train the new mutant team that he's put together. And during that period of time, then, Magneto is is the headmaster. He works very closely with Storm, who leads the X-Men. And for several years, that that happens. But it kind of goes horribly wrong. And um, again and again, he keeps seeing mutants being treated worse and worse. And it hardens him. And he he, kind of basically just slips back into being Magneto, the supervillain, the arch supervillain again. But... Since 2009, he's pretty much been working with um, and living with the X-Men for the last decade. Um, In 2009, Cyclops establishes a true home for all mutants on an island called Utopia, 
which is mm. briefly off the coast of San Francisco, and then it kind of moves around a bit, and 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 it's it, it you know Cyclops does a hell of a lot more than Xavier ever did in terms of confronting um, governments and saying you need to you, we need to have our own safe space and blah 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 blah, and and Magneto is so impressed with this leadership. That he basically just joins the X Men and says, "Oh, this is this is pretty good. A safe place, a safe place to harbor all mutants. Yeah, that's all I've ever wanted. Cool, I'm part of this gang then." So, for about eleven years, he's he's been part of the X Men. Yeah, wow, that's, that, that, that that surprised me. That surprised me. So, at the lab, Stryker is keeping the children from the school as captives so that he can test out Cerebro's mutant killing abilities. As the X-Men approach the base, Wolverine volunteers to go in first, since Stryker seems to want him alive. Sure enough, when Stryker sees Logan, he tells his soldier to let him inside. Very quickly, though, Stryker realises that Wolverine is an imposter, saying he knows his own creations. Stryker orders men to shoot as Logan shapeshifts into Mystique and fights her way into the control room. So, repeatedly in this movie... We see how useful Mystique is for all these missions. Shapeshifting, deception, and infiltration. Is she, obviously... Is she, is she, she must be like that in the comic books. Yeah. yeah. They, 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 they get around to it. To, be, to begin with, when she's a supervillain, it's not really... It's kind of just like the, um, that one moment of reveal where you go, oh, no, that's not my friend, that's Mystique. And then she hits you or yeah. shoots you or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but they they do kind of get around to it yeah and and she works for the government in a secret agent capacity for a while and then Xavier recruits her when she's wanted by all the governments in the world for some stuff she's may not have done Xavier says well I'll hide you from everyone in the world but you have to be my secret agent that nobody knows about and you have to be a double agent you have to infiltrate Magneto's group and these guys and these terrorists and do all this stuff for me so she does that for a while that's a really kind of fun series mm. she uses all these techniques to get dirty jobs done and then yeah she uses it all she should I mean she's been a leader of uh, terrorist and criminal groups for decades and ran a big criminal empire and nearly very nearly took down Wolverine so she 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 really does have the ability to do all this in the comics yeah it's pretty cool she's a lot smarter in the comic books she's a lot more not a lot smarter that's probably the wrong thing to say she's her own boss in the comic books in yeah, the yeah. movies especially these these ones she does whatever she's Magneto's henchman henchwoman whatever whereas in the comics she is she takes over from it from Magneto and she runs her own crew and she's you know her own boss yeah, it, it. I mean, it had to fit inside again. It had to fit inside a Hollywood story. Uh, yeah, way. It, it is. It is what it is. Uh, okay. Wow. I, I I like the idea of her being a bit rogue though, because you can't imagine her like being under someone's power for long. Because it's like, oh no, I'll just turn into someone else and you know do what I want. She also wears clothes in the, in the comic books. I think that's quite important. I think it's weird that she doesn't wear clothes when she can uh, make clothes from her skin. Um, yeah. Yeah, being blue and naked is weird. I know. I mean, Dr. Manhattan did it first. Just copying Dr. Manhattan, love. No, no, he didn't. He did not do it first. Oh, here we go. Who did it first? Who was blue and naked first? 
Oh wait, hang on. Oh, oh no, yeah, I know. Yeah, right from the movies to the. Okay, yeah. Oh, no, actually, you are right. Yeah, I I did take a massive leap there. I was about to say yeah because the movie that I was talking about the comic book. Then I had to think. Wait a minute, was she naked yeah, in the Mystique. comic book? No, she was never naked in the comic books, so you're right. Yeah. Um, although Manhattan wasn't naked in the comic books. He was naked. He, he wore pants for a while, and he also wore pants in the vest world, but ended up pretty much walking around with his willy out. Not, no, the comic books never never showed his, his, his penis. I, I remember seeing a, a penis in the comic book. <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> well, Google so- Dr. Manhattan penis now. Okay, well, apart from the film, wait a minute. Well, not now, not now. Not, Let's get on with the podcast. Now. We'll but s- it will just be the. We'll save it for the. It's, y- not, it's not in the comic book, I'm, we'll, I'm telling you. We'll, we'll save it for the it other will podcast. Just be in, the, in the movie. Manhattan versus Manhattan. <laughs> anyway, outside of reality, Professor Xavier is trapped inside an elaborate illusion created by Jason, who appears to him in the guise of a little girl. In the illusion, Jason ple- leads Xavier into the Cerebro room at the school. Although in reality, they're inside a grungy prison containing Stryker's copy of Cerebro. Mystique lets the rest of the X-Men into the base, and the team split up to find the children and the Professor. Stryker orders Jason to make the Professor kill all the mutants he finds through Cerebro. Elsewhere, a mind-controlled Cyclops tries to stop Jean Grey, Magneto and Mystique, using the full power of his optic blast. Jean uses her telekinesis to hold back Cyclops' power, while the others carry on with the mission. Gene and Cyclops fight, accidentally breaking the structural integrity of the dam in the process and starting some leaks. As Gene struggles against Scott's optic blast, her eyes flash with an image of flames and she is suddenly powerful enough to overwhelm Cyclops and break his mind control. So a lot happens here. So the main focus of this movie appears to be Cerebro. That's that's like the... Uh, it's, mm. not, it's not quite the MacGuffin. It is, uh, in a way... What can you tell us about this in the comic books? Does it look the same for a start? Um, no. It, it subsequently has resembled that big dome room, especially in Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Mm. Um, but it's always mainly just been a helmet that you put on. Ah, uh, yeah. The helmet is the big key to Cerebro. To begin with, it was this really weird um, room... And a box with with like not even like metal poles that kind of went all over the room. It was very weird to look at. That's back in the sixties. It's been there since day one. It's in the very first issue, and and to begin with, it's just um, a thing that amplifies Xavier's brain and and lets him find mutants, and that's mm. it. Uh, it be, it becomes. Over the over the years, it becomes part of the mansion's AI systems and the danger room, and part of the whole security system that controls the mansion. No one but Xavier could use it, and and then Jean Grey's powers eventually grew to the point that she could use it when she started to develop telepathy, which she didn't always have. Mm. When uh, Professor X was up in space and 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 left the team completely. No one could use it, so Kitty Pride reconfigured the computer uh, Cerebro so non-telepaths could partially use it to find someone they knew and stuff like that. Okay. And then when Xavier came back from a long spell with the Shi'ar Empire and the aliens, he had Cerebro upgraded with alien technology, so it became <laughs> far more advanced than any Earth tech. 
Um, and then when Bastion and the government broke into the mansion, stole it and, and corrupted it, Cerebro became, which is kind of like what happens in this movie, Cerebro becomes self-aware and alive <laughs> and it grows a body. And oh, wow. It's, it, it then starts to impersonate Professor X and it then forms its own team of X-Men to try and take over. And <laughs> It was eventually, by the end of that, that kind of storyline, it was destroyed by the end of the, eight, of the 90s and when Grant Morrison creates the new X-Men in, in the year 2000, Professor X and Beast have created a new machine called Cerebra instead of Cerebro, Cerebra and it's yeah, has a female connotation instead of yeah. male for some reason I would have gone with Cerebra <laughs> Bruh Bruh Cerebra <laughs> so excellent, so back at the lab Wolverine searches the laboratory for secrets and his mysterious past he finds a room filled with tanks and pipes and adamantium and has flashbacks to Stryker infusing his body with the metal. He remembers hearing Stryker's plans to erase his memory and then remembers breaking free and escaping. Wolverine finds Stryker and is about to attack him, but Stryker's mind-controlled bodyguard reveals her own deadly claws from her fingertips, five on each hand. Stryker said he used to think Wolverine was one of a kind, but he was wrong. Wolverine and the bodyguard have a brutal fight. Wolverine slices her, but she heals quickly, just like she, just like he does. They stab each other again and again, but they both keep healing before any damage is done. Finally, Wolverine stabs her with one of the laboratory nozzles and fills her body with liquid adamantium. Wolverine looks on in horror as she slowly dies when the metal hardens inside her, sinking to the bottom of the water tank. That, so... When he's having these flashbacks, when he sees the the the, met, the, uh, the metal spikes coming out of his hands, it's horrifying. It's a horrifying body horror. It, and I think yeah. I think they did it just right here because they could have. It's they, real cyberpunk. Oh, proper proper. It, it, I mean, when, when you see some of the images of some of like the surgery wounds <clears> and stuff <throat> all over his body, and him just screaming in, in horror, this this is David Cronenberg almost. It's very yeah. yeah. It's, it's how it should be. How it should be when dealing with this. And I know uh, there's a lot more movies that cover Wolverine's origins, but are these flashbacks close to what happens in the comic books? Yeah, they're, they're pretty on point for for, for Weapon X. Um, except Striker isn't a part of that. But the the tank and the the pipes, the wild look, the the, the helmet. Mm. Um, one of my favourite action figures as a child was this Weapon X variant of of Wolverine, yeah. which I got from a Toys R Us, and um, it was uh, yeah, it was super super treasured by me and super super cool. Um, and I'm just going to send you a picture of it, it, it's taken from uh, a 1980s series called Weapon X by this tremendous artist called Barry Windsor Smith. Who really Ooh. just infused this 1980s cyberpunk look? You take a look at that helmet yeah. with the visor yeah. on. That's what I like. Um, and and he's yeah, he's got these straps on him and these these know, monitors hanging off him, and he's that's him just breaking free from the, the 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 facility and kind of stalking through the forest with these claws, completely feral and wild. 
really really cool kind of um, concept and a decent series very worth checking out um, isn't that how what, yeah, what happened man, in, was, uh, in in apocalypse when they when they when they did the obligatory L- uh, logan cameo and he's pretty much wearing this kind of stuff isn't he yeah yeah it's they go back to to they go back to this flashback they've just done if that makes sense. Yeah, that was totally... They, they, they yeah. do the flashback. They totally didn't uh, need to do that scene in the film. But <laughs> nope. It's, Especially since he wasn't advertised, so yeah. you're not going to get any extra like ticket sales from it. But yeah, um, Wolverine's history has been expanded and expanded and, it, and expanded over the years, but this was like the very fir- one of the very first, in fact, probably the first revelation about his mysterious past. Mm. And it was Awesome, yeah, really cool. So it's good that it's the first one they they kind of give you. Yeah, I like that. I like that design a lot. Uh, so also, not only that, it's a very brutal fight with uh, with the with the bodyguard. They never give her an, a name in the movie. Is she a comic book character? Because I think I know who it is. Who is she? Will is it Lady Deathstrike? And why do you know her? Because I know her from the car. Sorry? I know her from the cartoon. Lady Deathstrike. Yeah, yeah. Lady Deathstrike. Yeah. Yeah, she she's not a mutant. What? That's the that's the important thing. What? So when Stryker says, um, "Oh, I thought you were a unique mutant," and then I found you know you're not basically. Mm. Uh, that that's kind of the weird thing they've done in this movie. They've made made her a mutant, made her very similar to Wolverine. In the comic books, she is a daredevil villain to begin with. Oh, okay. Because in Mar- in Marvel comics. If if you're a Japanese villain, you will be either a Daredevil villain or a Wolverine villain. There's nothing in between. Um, she, she's the daughter of a crime lord called Lord Deathwind, yeah. who um, is not a farting villain. Um, he, uh, he, he's the one that invented and, and came up with the ability to manipulate adamantium mm. that the American government stole off him and stuff. Yeah. She her, her her crime family was sort of axed. Well, basically through a, through a big. Act, she was trying to kill Bullseye, the uh, Daredevil villain. Yeah, yeah. Bullseye has an adamantium laced spine. Ooh. So she create she she was hunting for adamantium. Mm. Thought she was gonna to try and kill Bullseye, but came across Wolverine, and Wolverine tore through her entire crime family. Messed her up big time, Oof. you know. Effed her up and destroyed what was going on. And she seeking revenge. Ah, uh, this gets weird. Seeking revenge, she goes to the Mojo Verse Mo- to consult with Mojo. Mojo Verse. That sounds yeah. like an Austin Powers thing. Yeah. <laughs> no. So the Mojo Verse is a transdimensional kind of different world. Ruled by a gluttonous couch potato called Mojo. Mm. I'm sending you a picture now. He is a disturbing-looking dude. He is massively fat with like loads of chins, and his cool. skin is like yellow. Yeah, and he's yeah. got the um, he's got the um, oh well, what's the movie where they pin the eyes back? Oh, Clockwork uh, Orange from the book. Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Yeah. His eyes are, his eyelids are perpetually pulled back so he can always watch as much television as possible. And he has these 
these feeds going into his brain, pumping through all the sound of all these TV screens and everything. And yeah, he played the X-Men for, for years because he found them so interesting. He would just mess with them to create brilliant television for his world of, his mojo world full of couch potatoes. It's a real kind of um, running man, uh, clockwork orange kind of cyberpunk, um, really brilliant kind of character and, and storytelling. And so Lady Deathstrike, manages to get to in front of, of Mojo and his assistant Spiral who transform her into a cyborg with these adamantium enhancements mm. including adamantium bones and these claws that come out of her I think she can't put them away so her fingertips have these adamantium claws permanently I don't think they retract and she joins a yeah. gang of psychotic cyborg mercenaries called the Reavers who practically kill the X-Men. They are deeply, deeply violent. Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers crucify Wolverine on a giant stone X. They strap him up there to to be tortured and die for... uh, You know, he keeps dying and and not quite... He's on the brink of death for days and days and days and days. It's awful. Um, So she's not a mutant similar to Wolverine, but she has this weird twisted cyborg yeah. with, with some some extra-dimensional magic thrown in there as well. I think I saw uh, Mojo from the cartoon series, because there's that uh, there's yeah, other guy yeah, with they, a mullet they, they use in him. his game show who's fighting. Yeah, the, uh, the most Jason Donovan mullet I've ever seen. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they use him. He, he's, he's a really exciting and, and kind of fun side character like the, the X-Men are a really rich universe so they've got the Shi'ar when they go into space and then they've got mm. this this kind of side world which is the, the Mojo world which is yeah it's really fun and they've got all these different crime lords and mercenaries and everything also uh, having your eyes pinned back so you can watch all loads of TV at once I mean that's the dream for me think of how many box sets <laughs> I could get through finally <laughs> yes I could do I could get through all the Marvel films at once and this podcast will be over <laughs> <laughs> anyway so pin the eyes back brother that's our new catchphrase pin the eyes back pin the eyes back get that get that on a badge that's another catchphrase uh, <laughs> meanwhile at Cerebro Magneto gets to the Cerebro room and dons his protective helmet just as the attack on the mutants begin all the other mutants fall to the ground screaming their minds full of pain from the signal Magneto stops the attack then reconfigures Cerebro using his magnetic powers Mystique enters in the guise of Striker and tells Jason to have Xavier kill all the humans instead of the mutants is this something Professor X would do is he powerful enough to kill all the people with just a thought um it's I mean, God Loves, Man Kills is driving towards him doing this, but on a smaller scale. Yeah. It has him with this device that isn't Cerebro, that the, the, the kind of the, the, the what they call the, not the pacifiers, the, the, the purifiers have built, that when Xavier's hooked up to it, it can detect mutants and then um, use his power, his brain, his brain power to, to kill them. Mm-hmm. Whether it could do it on that scale, there there is a um, an X Men story where Magneto leads Emma Frost, the White Queen, to the to take over Cerebro in the mansion, and hooks her up to it, and she's a very very powerful psychic, and the intent is for her to use Cerebro 
to kill all humans. Oh, yeah. So if Magneto believes that she can do it, Xavier, who is uh, perhaps the most powerful psychic ever, um, I mean, honourable mention to the Shadow King, maybe he's the most powerful psychic ever, but Xavier could could certainly have a good old go at it, yeah. Good old go at it, wow. It, it's a, I mean, it's oh, a horrifying yeah. thought. It reminds me of uh, that bit in Logan where he, he's not taking his medication and then he yeah. accidentally causes people to collapse and it's like, oh, that's... You've got to think about a mind that powerful. His seizures. Yeah. We, we think about the, the, the joke he makes to Wolverine... Um, at the start, well, early on in the film, where he says, "If if if I don't pay attention, I could kill thousands," you know. Mm. So with with the cerebro one, so I think that's what it was um, alluding. What the part of it is as a, as a yeah. prophecy fulfilling. Jeez. So anyway, back to the film outside the lab. Striker leaves the complex, but Wolverine finds him and stabs him with his claws. Wolverine demands answers, but Stryker only tells him that he'd volunteered for the procedure and that the two of them had worked together. An alarm goes off, the dam is about to burst and flood the area. Stryker says it's too late for any of the others inside the complex, but if Wolverine comes with him now, he'll reveal everything he wants to know about his life. Angry, Wolverine chains him to the helicopter and goes back for the others. So is Stryker lying here? Is he just saying that? Did Wolverine volunteer for the adamantium and did they work together? Um, well, in in the in the in the in the movies, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure. In the comic books, Stryker's not involved in in the um, the Weapon X project and the adamantium. Wolverine doesn't volunteer for. I mean, he volunteers for a bunch of dangerous jobs yeah. and secret intelligence agencies, but he doesn't volunteer for that. Right. He he walks away from a military group called Team X, yes, which had him and Sabretooth and others working on like deadly missions and, and intelligence agency stuff. And then that, while he was away, morphed into this Weapon X project, and they kidnapped Wolverine and forced him to go through the transformation. Mm-hmm. And, and the adamantium process and and modern revelations have revealed that all of that was orchestrated by that shadowy crime lord we talked about Romulus, Romulus. who has been controlling and, and plaguing Wolverine's life since the very start I keep thinking of Star Trek but then again it's the Romulans isn't it yeah that's right the Romans as well as the yeah. Romulus and Remus yeah that makes sense yeah. that all ties in together what? the two wolves that was it. So, meanwhile, inside the lab, the X-Men have reached the Cerebro Chamber. Nightcrawler teleports Storm and himself inside, but are trapped inside Jason's illusions. In order to get Jason to stop the illusion, Storm freezes the room, forcing Jason to give in and reveal Professor Xavier. As the ceiling panels start to collapse, Nightcrawler rescues Storm and then the Professor. The X-Men run away and finally find their way out of the complex. So... He's it looks like he died in this bit. <laughs> it really did. So it's probably best to talk about Jason Stryker. His illusion powers are so powerful he can trick Professor Rex. Like, obviously he's in the comic, right? Uh, oh. not, no, sort, sort of, of not but not really. really. <laughs> um, he, he, it's weird. He's yeah. a retcon character. He, he does not... Uh, so... We'll discuss it more 
very shortly when we talk about William Stryker, mm. I'll say he's a retcon character. He only appears. Mm, he only appears as an adult after this movie comes out. So it's, this movie is, does not base this character on anybody. But his powers are very similar to a character called Mastermind, um, Jason Wingard. He popped up in a Lego game I was playing. Yeah. yeah, he popped up and he started using his powers and was like, wait a second, isn't that Jason Stryker's powers? Yeah, um, yeah, he, he he's a mastermind plays a big, big, big important role in the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, and yeah, we don't see him. I don't think in any of these movies. So yeah, weird. Shame. It, it sounds like they, well, obviously, again, they had to fit it in the uh, in the Hollywood narrative structure and give Stryker more. Uh, like they had to say, ah, how how, how yeah. do you motivate him? Ah, his son's also muted. Oh my god, the hypocrisy. So that yeah 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 that that that's a sound that's a sound thing to do is to do that. Okay, so elsewhere in the snow, Magneto and Mystique have found Stryker writhing in pain. From the metal, from the mental attack on humans, Magneto chains Striker to a wall and leaves him to die in the flood. Magneto and Mystique steal Striker's helicopter, and Pyro has volunteered to join them. Rogue flies the X jet over to the helicopter pad to pick up the mutants up before the dam bursts. Wolverine notices Striker chained to the dam, pleading with Wolverine for rescue. Wolverine decides to take his chances with his fellow mutants. So this is his, uh, his, his parting scene. We've we've had a good fun with him. Let's let's talk about William Stryker. Is he in the comic books? <laughs> He's in God Loves Man Kills. He is mm. the antagonist in that graphic novel from 1982. Mm. But he's he's the TV evangelist preacher. Yeah. Who has this Ku Klux Klan style army and and, and commit horrific crimes against mutants. He's not a military leader involved with the government there's no military connection there um his his striker confesses when he's got kitty pride captured he tells her that his wife gave birth on the side of a road on the way to the hospital Mm -hmm. and what she gave birth to was a deformed mutant so striker kills the baby And then kills his wife and passes it off as a car crash. And that sets him off down this path of hatred towards mutants. And he targets Xavier and and, and the X-Men and and, and creates this army and and this device to kill mutants. And it's horrible, absolutely horrifying. Um, And at the end of the story, he is about to in front of the world, murder Kitty Pride, who was a young, young teenage little girl. Um, and that snaps, like, the people watching it can't believe what they're seeing, and the police just shoot him dead because they can't, they're not going to let that happen. And and that, you know, the fact that it happens in front of the world kind of changes a lot of opinions about his, his evangelical behaviour. For years and years and years, that graphic novel wasn't considered canon it wasn't considered to be part of the of the regular marvel universe mm. right it didn't take part in in the x-men monthly comics it was a separate graphic novel released outside of that and it wasn't considered part of what had happened and then a decade or more 15 years after the after the fact 
they decided suddenly, and after the movie came out, they decided to suddenly make it canon and, <laughs> and decided it did actually happen. And here's a sequel. And also in the sequel, it turns out his son didn't die. His son became an evil villain who had superpowers and it really sucked. It was, <laughs> it, it, it's not been mentioned since it didn't need mentioning. Um, I think the important difference is that they decided when they were making this movie that they did not want to go anywhere near the idea of the religious right being uh, the villains. They didn't want to go anywhere near this being an allegory for race relations or KKK or mm. anything like that. And they shifted his character from being a TV uh, evangelist to being this kind of like military black ops dude. It, it really feels to me like he uh, um, he's he's playing a version of his character in the Jason Bourne movies, like where he's this black ops. You know, he runs this black ops team, and his special agent. You know, dude is a guy whose memory is bad, but is an incredible killing machine. It feels very much like that, does Wait, it not? You mean, you mean Brian, Brian Cox? I was about to say, was Brian to say, Cox, the, yeah. the brilliant Brian Cox, first man to ever play Hannibal Lecter. F- fun fact for you there. Um, yeah, it, it does feel like that. It do- Yeah, I, I, I didn't know, know, know that comparison before. That's totally spot on. Yeah. So, so there we go. I just had a quick look at, uh, at William Stryker in uh, uh, God Loves, Man Kills. And it's like, I really want to read that comic now, but I will crumble the podcast if I dare do so. You collapse it, brother. You can't do it. Collapse the structure. So, back outside the lab, the team discovers the plane is not fully functional and can't lift off, but the dam is bursting. Jean Grey leaves the jet and uses her powers to hold off the huge tidal wave whilst controlling the blackbird and lifting it up, burning with energy as she uses an extreme amount of her powers Nightcrawler tries to teleport to save her, but Jean is also blocking his powers. Jean saves the X-Men and the children, but her power is finally exhausted and she is drowned by the flood. The whole team is devastated, especially Wolverine and Scott. So, high power levels being used by Jean. There, Lots of flame imagery. What's going on and does Jean die in the comic books? Like you said earlier, they're setting up the the Phoenix yeah. kind of idea, which is such an epic story that it it does deserve to be done. You know, in in a, in its own movie, I think it, it it can only be done in two movies. I mean, I know it technically has two movies, <laughs> but, but neither of but them good. It's like one is. One is a reboot of the other, yeah. or, oh, or well, is a different. I, I I have no idea with this cluster F universe that is the the X Men universe. It's just stupid. Um, they've had plenty of cha- there were plenty of time travel stories where they could have cleanly cleaned this all up, but they didn't do it. Um, Gene dies a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 more times than any other superhero. Any other, I can't think of a single other superhero that Gene that dies as, as many times as Gene. So much so, it becomes it's become a running joke. Yeah, I've heard um, that one. I've heard about that running and, joke. And and some of that isn't really her dying; it's the Phoenix dying, which isn't really Gene, although it might be. Although, oh God, please don't make me do this with Last Stand or the new one. Please. <laughs> so, 
the important thing to remember is that Jean Grey should not be manifesting these powers because Jean Grey is not the Phoenix and does not have these powers. But, you know, okay, whatever. It, it's happened. There you go. Blair. Blair. Yeah. Yeah. Blair. Flame powers. Magical flame powers for no reason. <laughs> there you go. That's Jean Grey. That's Jean Grey, apparently. Apparently one of her powers is magical flame powers for no reason, even though she hasn't been to space yet. Cool. Yeah. It, I, I haven't watched Dark Phoenix yet, but I, I think we should save it. I, I, I reckon we should do all the X-Men films, personally. I think... You know, obviously we're going to need to. Someone's going to ask us to. Cartoon... The cartoon series does it better. Okay. Actually... Well, actually, we'll discuss this outside the podcast, how we handle the cartoon series, <laughs> because that, I, I kind of want to cover that quite a lot. I'm very sad, I know. Hey, we're going to wait for the pa- Patreon. If the patrons want, to, want us to do it, they'll, they'll throw the money that way and we'll do it. Massive hint to the patrons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're at the last scene. At the White House, the president's televised speech is interrupted. Everyone in the room freezes except for the president. Or is time stopped? <laughs> and the mutants. No, and the stop mutants. it. <laughs> Except for the president and the mutants. Professor Xavier presents him with the information taken from Stryker's lab. The mutant message is simple. We're here to stay. Boom. That's the end of the movie. End of the movie. Whew. Man, it's a big one, isn't it? That, is a, that was bigger than expected. I'm looking at the time on this and going, wow, people are going to listen to all this. Our lovely fans. They, 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 they love it, mate. They, they can't get it. enough. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, there's an awful lot going on. There's an awful lot. There's an awful lot happening um, in in this one. And I think you know if you compare this to X Men One, you can really feel feel like they are building a universe. You've got mm, all yep, of yep. Wolverine's backstory. You've got all the tensions going on between mutants and humans, and then all the tensions between mutants and mutants. Uh, it, it, they're doing a, they're doing a hell of a lot there. It's really impressive what they're what they're getting up to. Um, so, Will, thank you for leading us through X Men Two hyphen X Men United. <laughs> I guess the, the the idea there is that. Magneto has worked with the X-Men. Magneto's like, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. What are your final thoughts on that movie? For a while, I thought Days of Future Past was better. But I'm convinced this is mm. the best X-Men film by far. Really? Yeah. Really? By far? Okay, not that I find. I really have a massive soft spot for Days of Future Past. I really love that. I really love that film. Yeah. Yeah. What so what so what so basically based on this rewatch you've changed your mind then? Yeah, because I I did recently rewatch not too recent uh, before way before we planned this podcast I rewatched Days of Future Past and for for what it is it's a 2014 movie when you have the MCU in full swing in Phase Two and it does mm. it it feels like in some places it feels like a poor MCU movie while X2 wow yeah it really does mm. it, it there there are moments where you go this would have been way better if say they got Josh Whedon to do the script or whatnot but mm. X2 it for its time for a start before way before the MCU really kicked off i th- i think it handled all of this really well not a perfect movie but pretty damn good it hit everything yeah. you needed to do yeah. that you could do with this this uh, story. 
Well then, I'd like to, I'd really like to know, one of my favourite parts of the episode is finding out what has been your favourite mm. slice of Marvel trivia that you have learned in, in the episode so far as we've delved through X2. Nothing's made me burst out laughing with the Marvel trivia. No, it's not been, been that kind of movie, has no, it? No, no, but I, I think I like the fact that they go, they, they, there's the uh, whole thing of, hey, people just hate uh, Nightcrawler because he looks like a demon, and uh, he might actually be a demon, <laughs> half-demon. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's, that's quite silly. That is really silly. That backpedaling was just dumb. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was really dumb. Well, we really thank you for listening to this wonderful uh, dive through the second X-Men film as picked out by uh, 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 Jack Isaacs, I believe it was. Um, <laughs> definitely something Isaacs. Um, and we thank you for, for picking that one. Um, out, you have the power if you are a uh, a member of our Patreon team, part of our what is it called? Uh, the what was it called? Will the the verse the verse 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 verse. That's better. If you're a part of the verse verse, then uh, you 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 definitely get to to do that, and you can head on over to uh, Marvel versus Marvel. Sorry, to patreoncom slash Marvel versus Marvel. Become a part of the of the crew of the verse verse. And yes, it was Jack Isaacs who who got the very first pick out there, X2. Let us know which non-MCU project you want us to do an episode on and tackle. Could be one of the TV movies or a cartoon or uh, or one of the or one of the other X movies or the Spider-Man movies or any of that. Drop us a line, let us know, and that's something that we'll do. Um reading list which I have to complete now before we get out of here. And don't forget for any further details and info on this to see uh, pictures of Mojo, to see pictures of Lady <laughs> Deathstrike, and 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 all of and what Weapon X drawn by uh, Barry Windsor Smith looks like, head on over to the Patreon, and you can read our, our latest blog, which will have all that on there. Uh, the reading list for this episode, I'd really recommend to check out. God loves man kills from nineteen eighty two. Don't expect modern storytelling with some of these things, especially if it's from the nineteen eighties. It it, it 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 may feel the dialogue might not ring true and the storytelling might not ring you know to modern sensibilities but it's very much worth a read is god loves man kills it's quite 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 evocative and powerful i'd also recommend barry windsor smith's weapon x run because we delved into that during this um yeah and that's just simply called weapon x by barry windsor smith and I, this this very much holds up because uh, it's quite modern. We've written in the year two thousand. Grant Morrison's run on New X Men. There's a big omnibus collection you can check out, or if you just want the the cheaper option, which is to collect in the trades, you can give the first trade paperback a chance, and that is simply Grant Morrison New X Men. It might be numbered one, but I think it's simply called New X Men, and that is um, definitely definitely one to to check out. Some really bold bold. New ideas and and creations and and characters and and ideas in in that in that run from Mister Grant Morrison, one of the best science fiction writers in in comic books today. Well, that was it. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Don't forget to head over to the Patreon dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel, and we'll be back with the next episode where we will take our place back in Phase Two 
of the MCU with a highly, highly anticipated movie, one that we people have been mm-hmm. begging us to get round to do. Yep. Next time, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with Guardians of the Galaxy. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel comics or movies? You can watch along with us in the next episode, which will be Guardians of the Galaxy.